Cradleine Network. Winding your way down the Baker Street, lighting your head and bed on your feet while another crazy day. You drink the night away and forget about everything. Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad. This is the 255th episode of Space Spitter 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one with the progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from weekly progs and once again venturing into the exciting world of special editions. In this case, the 1992 sci-fi special. The special has become a place to showcase new writers and artists, or at least newer writers and artists. And in this one, we're trying out some uh, new combinations on established characters, as well as, as always in this era, giving some screen time to slightly more niche thrills. The price of the special is held steady this year at £1.50, but I'm more excited for my guest this episode, Damien Edwardson of Art Night 2. Welcome to the show! Oh, thank you. Thank you for It was about time you had me on. Bloody hell, mate. Oh, oh man. All right. All right. <laughs> the salt. <laughs> well, thank you. One way or another, thank you so much for coming on. I super duper appreciate it. I've been big fan of your work out here on these comic book streets. And I know you do your own <laughs> podcast, so men to that. And so, you know, listen, at some point, you're right. It's like, it is, it is important for me to get all these, uh, 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 Brit comics, Brit comics adjacent, um, podcasts yeah, on my I own mean, show, you know. To be fair, though, mate, there, there are far better people you can have on the show than me. So I'm not, I don't take offense to it at all. I'm just, I'm thrilled to be here in all seriousness. <laughs> it's an I'm exciting genuinely time. Genuinely pleased to be here. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, before we get started on the on the special, I'd love to know what your history is with 2000 AD. Well, I think I've told this story a few times, but my history of 2000 AD is really the reason why I draw and why I draw comics in particular. So my dad was, uh, he was a coal miner. So I didn't really see a lot of him, to be honest, because he did he did like you know day shifts. He, he did night shifts, and then he was in bed all day. But at weekends, we used to have some kind of you know time to ourselves to enjoy things. And mm-hmm. I remember every Saturday morning, I'd, I'd come downstairs, and there'd be a copy of 2000 AD sat on the table for me. So this was probably, um, oh God, it would have been the late 70s, mm-hmm. sort of 78, 79. So I was quite sure. young. And uh, I think my dad just thought I liked it because, you know, I, I, I was obsessed with comics at that point. Um, never liked things like the Beano and Dandy. They just never really appealed to me. My brother did, but mm-hmm. I, I just couldn't get into them. But once I saw kind of like, you know, we had a load of Marvel UK reprints and things like that. And then 2008, sure. that, that was hooked. And yeah, I mean, I used to have a routine on a Saturday. I'd come down. I'd see me prog. I'd be really excited. (laughs) Before I did anything, I'd lie on the floor and I would literally like front to back, go through it and read it. And I say read it, but at that age, I was more kind of, you know, just just reading the pictures more than actually understanding what was going on. Sure. Then I'd go and get washed up, have breakfast, and then I'd come straight back. I'd read it again. And then I'd literally spend most of Saturday just drawing from it, you know, copying drawings, copying art. Yeah. Um, create my own stories based on the things I'd read and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I really do believe that that's why I create comics today. And it was all down to, to just, you know, 2000 AD and that, that, I mean, the artwork and stuff from, from that period as well. You know, I feel very fortunate that I grew up 
in a time that I think is the golden age of 2000 AD. You look at the creators, you look at the writers, you look at people in there and what they did. And yeah, it, it left an impression. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, that that late 70s and then early 80s era as, as, as well with all of these amazing creators that we've talked about for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's still some amazing creators in there now. You know, it's not like I'm trying to, I'm trying to diss it, but it, it, it just has a probably a personal thing, but it has a very special place in my heart. That kind of, you know, late seventies through to probably early nineties, where I feel a lot of people started to move away from the prog for various issues, mm-hmm. and and I was one of them, you know. Um, but it really did have that. It, it was just like nothing else, you know. Mm-hmm. There was nothing else like it. And then you'd get other magazines that came along that were quite similar, like Warrior, uh, the Warrior mm-hmm. magazine by Des Skin. Oh, God. I say to people, if ever you want to um, a masterclass in how to create black and white comics, just look at early 2008 or look at Warrior, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the names and the stuff that was in there, you know. Oh, oh yeah. mate, it makes the hairs stand up on the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I really agree. I think but, um, there's a lot to learn. I mean, I haven't read a ton of Warrior, but definitely in 2000 AD, there's so much to learn about both black and white art and that British style of uh, compressed storytelling, I think, yeah. that is really unique to those comics in that era. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is really interesting and has a that I think people can like there's definitely stuff to, like like lessons to be learned, I think, or just sort of how they did it and why that seems so hard um, as, as time goes by, I guess. But I, I, I want to say also that I think I, I think everybody or people who, who especially grew up with 2000 AD, everybody's got their own era. I think it's like talking about like everybody's got their own Doctor Who or, 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 yeah. or a, a similar thing where – even if it's generally not regarded as the best or whatever else, like if you grew up with these comics, there's a four year period, there's a three or four year period, which you'll like fight to the death for. That's definitely something I've learned it, talking to you, people about these comics. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's exactly the same with wrestling, you know, which I know oh, is yeah. a shared passion of ours. You Absolutely. know, I'm a, I'm a sort of 80s, you know, early to sort of late 80s early 90s wwf mainly with a bit of wcw thrown in kind of guy mm-hmm. but then you know there are people that will absolutely argue that you know the the kind of attitude here and stuff like that that came late was was far more superior and i'm yeah. like give over oh you yeah see, I mean? see that's me i'm, I'm, right. I'm like a, i'm like a late attitude era fan i know yeah. I listen to a podcast with somebody who will go to the who will go to the mat, uh, you know, no pun intended, for like 2006 and to 2008 or something like that. It's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny. It's just yeah, like like your era of yeah. things. That's too many pile drivers, that isn't it. You know, what I, mean? I mean, but um, <laughs> no, I mean, it, but it's all it's all kind of um, subjective, though, isn't it? And you're right. I think it's not necessarily always about the quality of what you've got. It's about the context and the emotions that those things give you. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, that kind of era of comics and wrestling and all these other things, it's the same with films, you know. Yeah. They mean something to me on a much deeper level than sometimes, you know, when you look back at them now, some of it's a bit ropey, you know, some mm-hmm. of it's a bit, sure. a bit questionable. Yeah, but, but, there's, but it it's, it's tied into more, it? yeah. It's it's tied into more than just what's what's on the page or on the screen, right? Like yeah. you, yep. you've got all these other parts of, of times in your life and how you felt with all that stuff and just yeah, the the web of memory or or whatever. 
is so strong with this stuff and and add so much to it i think which makes it makes it fun i think for me and fox because we're sort of going through and are very un, untouched by that nostalgia so we sort of have to develop what what we like in, yeah. <laughs> you know because we're doing it all so quickly we're also you know we're, we're, I, I feel like if you ask fox what his favorite moments are it comes from so much of the of this first 15 years of 2018 that we've talked about i think me too also yeah. actually where it's sort of like you know i'll take i'll take some stuff from the late 70s and some stuff from the 80s and one or two yeah. 90s things all, all sort of mixed together mm, absolutely yep <laughs> oh that's awesome all right so besides so so you talked about um how 2000 AD um, inspired you to become an artist. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about um, Art92, Art your um, your company. Yeah, so um, both uh, my wife, Hate, and myself are artists. I mean, we, we kind of met in school, but we kind of got together when we were in art college together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've always drawn, always painted things like that. And then I must admit, you know, kind of strangely enough, um, during the 90s and, and through the 2000s, I, I stepped away from art completely. I left art college because of some personal circumstances. And I didn't draw for about 20 years. I didn't do anything, you know, didn't touch wow. a pen or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then H kind of didn't really draw for a long time. And then she started running a community art class. Um, so every Saturday she'd, she'd run a class for the community like for free. You know, she'd put it on the local library. And, you know, you'd get people coming along and they couldn't. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know one end of a pencil to come and up. And I would take them through all these kind of different things, and, and they loved it. I mean, she started off with four people, and then when she left, about I think she did it for about four years, and when she walked away from it um, for someone else to take it on, she had like about 40-odd people turning up every oh, Saturday, wow. you know. And nice. it, it became a real social thing as well, you know, because you had people mm-hmm. – because, again – we were talking a little bit before we started, but we live in a, in a there's quite an elderly population around where we live, and you know they, um, you know they see had a lot of people that had been widowed or you know were on their own and stuff like that. The families had moved away, and and then mm. they came together and formed this little community club. So that was lovely, and I think part of that started triggering with me that I want to get back into art, mm-hmm. and then um, I kind of got to the point where I, I needed to do something for myself. I was under a bit of um, kind of pressure with work and stuff, and I needed just something to release. And I remember H saying, like, why, don't you, why don't you draw again? And I'm like, oh, I don't think I could do it after all these years, you know. Um, but she, she kind of convinced me. I was getting a bit jealous about seeing all the stuff she was doing. So, <laughs> yeah, so I started drawing. And then from that, obviously, we started um, doing a bit more kind of portraiture again and stuff like that and putting it out and people coming and going, I didn't know you could draw. I didn't know you could paint, you know, all these kinds of things. And can, can I buy this? Can I do that? And we started getting a bit of interest and we thought, well, you know, if we're going to do it, why don't we try and do it a bit more legit, you know, mm-hmm. start the business. Not not as if we're going to be able to retire and pack it in and just do the art business, but just to allow us to have an outlet to create and sell work if people wanted it. Yeah, that um, makes a lot of sense, yeah. You know, so so we did. And I mean, it's, it was only three years ago we actually did that. I noticed the other day we had a memory pop-up that we registered the, the domain name three years ago. Um, so the, for the first year, we kind of just concentrated on doing commissions and portraits, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of – we I, I hadn't been to conventions either for about donkey's years because I dropped out the whole comic scene and we went to a convention and I started seeing all the small press stuff and I was totally blown away. I was, mm-hmm. I was like, bloody hell, look at this stuff. Because for me, it used to be when I when I was last in that world, 
um, small press was photocopies and staplers. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and, and now stuff, there's sure. yeah, and 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 there was stuff now that I was like. I couldn't believe how well published and polished a lot of this material was. I mean, it's not always great, but it was it was really really well put together. And then we started thinking, mm, I got got a bit of that. I always wanted to be two things as a kid, um, and that was either James Bond mm. or a comic artist. And I was too <laughs> short and poor to be James Bond, <laughs> and I never became a comic artist until. Um, about two years ago, yeah. and that was it. So yeah, we've been going three years. It's going really well. H is up to her eyes in dog commissions at the moment. So um, she's she's painting animals and pet portraits, and she's working on. She's just finished a comic strip. She's doing another comic strip now, personal comic strip that she's working on herself. And I'm working. I've been most of this year. I've been working on comic strips for other creators and collaborating with writers for anthologies and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's all going really well. That's amazing. Death. Yeah. It's, it's really been, I, I feel like, um, I, I know I, I've really loved one of your projects, uh, the the galactic, <laughs> uh, grappling alliance, which is this sci-fi pro wrestling comic, which for yeah. me really feels like, um, like all of my interests, like being like a Venn diagram that's become just a circle of like, oh, okay, this is exactly what I'm interested in, you know. Uh, yeah, that's really, well, that's really amazing. Yeah. Said to me, I think it was Tony Esmond who was talking to me. He said, "Look, you know, just create for you, and don't worry if other people don't like." And I thought, right, what do I love? You know, I love sci-fi, um, mm-hmm. and I love wrestling. It's like, well, there we go. There's the yeah. answer. You know, a bit yeah. of a Google search. There's not much of it about. And I realize why there's not much of it about, because it's an incredibly niche market, to be fair. Sure, but, yeah. But, you know, it's, I love doing it, though, and I love all those callbacks to, to kind of a lot of the old kind of wrestling territories and, oh, and things like that. And, and yeah. but I try and not make it so obvious that if you're not kind of up on the old wrestling kind of um, – speaking characterizations and stuff like that that it doesn't detract but there's easter eggs in there for people like you know yourself and other fans that yeah, absolutely message yeah. me going oh i love the, you know the poffo sector and things like that you know right it really resonates with people <laughs> but yeah, yeah that that's amazing i'll say like i feel like through some of your work and through some other people like everybody is working on the uh, on the 77 comic as well I know over the, over the last year or two, it's really opened me up as um, just to this whole world of these small press and independent press comics that are kickstarting and, you know, uh, taking donations and like paid to print things and stuff. That's really yeah. massive, something I, I have to be careful about, because if I'm not, then I'll like I'll, I'll back everything. And suddenly it's a month later and all these uh, all these campaigns come due. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> like, what have I done? I <laughs> What's my I I my poor wallet? You know? <laughs> H's favorite saying is, it's for you. It's another comic. <laughs> like, It'd be a Kickstarter I've, I've forgotten about, you know, and it's like appearing. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. It is amazing, though. I mean, those, those platforms, sorry, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, those, those platforms that allow people now to create and distribute as well. I mean, mm-hmm. when I did GGA2, I think probably about 70% of everything I sold went to the States. Um, now there's no way I was going to sell comics in the States. You know, I just, you don't have the reach, you know, you mm-hmm. can have all the websites and everything else you want, but there's something about Kickstarter that really gives you that, that chance to, 
to push your work out there um, and let people see it. And I mean, I'm always amazed when anybody um, backs anything that we do. <laughs> you know, I genuinely do because you, you, you know, I go into it. I never plan stretch goals and things because I never think I'm going to need them. Mm. To be honest with you, so <laughs> it's all done on the fly. When I'm like, oh, shit, I better, I better make something. You know, throw something in here. But um, it's 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 a really really good platform. Um, and long may it continue to give people like ourselves just an outlet where we can be seen, you know, more widely. Absolutely. I mean, I feel that way about about Patreon as well. It's definitely something that's made it, you know, like just made it been able to say, to say, um, hey, if you like what we're doing here, like here's a way to um, to 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 offer some money or something like that for yeah. for for creators that I think is really nice and sort of helps people, you, you know, in this in this modern age where where it's so where it's where it becomes easy for people to start doing things, distributing things or whatever to put their art out there. I think it's there's non-traditional ways to distribute their art, so there has to be non-traditional ways to make money for that art as well. Because yeah, there's just no re- there's no reason to have to be beholden to some I don't know big company or something. <laughs> like no, and, and to be honest, even if it's not like like even if you want, if it's not enough to retire, just still enough to have something that sort of is recognizing that your art's valuable and that people like it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I was talking about this with another creator on on a recent podcast. I'm saying that you know that. I think we're all driven within this small press. It isn't that we want to be Marvel artists or DC artists, wherever it may be. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd probably give me left bollock to to do something for 2000 AD because it's always been, you know, that, as I said before, that's been my Mm -hmm. origin. So, you know, if ever I got the opportunity, then... I'd change my tune completely. But well, I mean, although, although to be fair, even 2000 AD is kind of small press in comparison to yeah, like Marvel yeah. or something these days. Yeah. Well, the beauty of something like um, what we do in the small press world is that you can do anything. You can, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, could you see maybe, um, for example, if I pitched GGA to like Marvel or someone, they'd be like, no, I don't think so, mate. Do you know what I mean? It's not for mm-hmm. us. Or, you know, even some of the more, uh, like, adult stuff, like, um, you know, for example, think about things like Atomic Hercules that Tony and Adam do. You know, I couldn't exactly see, like, Marvel nodding to that, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> but the beauty is they can create these things, and we, we all have this urge. Like It's like podcasting as well. Yeah. You know, you've got this urge to create something, and, and you use this this opportunity to, to do that, and it's incredible that we've got these these outlets available. And if everyone's listening to this, who's thinking of creating a comic or thinking of doing a podcast or whatever it might be, just do it. You know, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no reason to not not do these things. It's just hard work. And that's the thing you've got to remember. You know, just because you're doing it for yourself doesn't make it any easier. It makes it a damn sight harder. Right. Yeah, that's, but, that's cert- that certainly adds some challenge. But the plus sure. side is you can do anything. You can tell any story you want, mm-hmm. you know, and... It's it's wonderful, I think. So yeah, I'm a big. I'm a, I buy more small press comics now than mainstream comics, and I have done for the last sort of um, two three years. I've been back in back on the scene, really. Nice, yeah, definitely. It's so like I was I was going to say earlier that at this point I'm not I, I I can't even feel shame about just getting boxes of things, so just sort of stuff that I've ordered or that I've got from Kickstarter or things like that. Yeah, know the post well. Life's too short for know. shame, mate. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> just make sure you enjoy whatever you buy Absolutely. i think i'm gonna get i've just ordered something off kickstarter and um it was one of those where they had to work the shipping out after and mm. i dread to think what it's going to be <laughs> do you know what i mean i was like i wrote to them saying 
you know, I'm just waiting to have my pants pulled down by the post office when this actually lands. <laughs> we have this, like, they charge you like £8.50 for a handling fee. And it's like, but you've not handled it, though. You've you've just delivered it and yeah, you paid to yeah. deliver it. All these international yes. shipping races. Oh, I mean, that, that's why I have to have a, a digital subscription to 2000 AD because it's like half as much to get yeah. digital than to get a, a physical copy shipped to you, basically. Yeah, and more reliable as well um, from my experience. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you, keep your eyes on Art92 because you might be having a sale soon to pay for me, uh, me import fees. <laughs> All right. Yeah, definitely. I've, 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 I've thought about it before. In my, you know, I'm, I, 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 I feel like my sister-in-law would love a portrait of her cat. Absolutely. <laughs> Or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but you mentioned your 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 podcast. Can you tell me about um, about that? About Omen to that your podcast? Yeah. So as we record this, actually, it's a year old. Um, funny enough. So again, it was during the first the first lockdown of many lockdowns we've had over mm. in the UK. Um, and I just kind of I I urge to talk to someone other than H because you know, we were locked in the house together. We didn't have the dog at that point, so I couldn't even talk to, to Marty. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I wouldn't mind giving this podcast thing a lark. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I feel I can reasonably hold a conversation and, and I enjoy talking to people. And the, there were just certain things that really, really interest me, like people's origins and, you know, looking at the art of things so like you know we've done we've done um episodes on you know the first one we did was about um wrestling about old school wrestling and we had such a laugh you know doing it and talking about our favorite entrance themes and stuff like this and then you know i've done i've done episodes on um kind of uh oh god what am we doing video covers you know the old 80s video covers we've done um similarly movie posters and then we've done some creative spotlights so i've had some brilliant guests you know i've had um mm. sort of john mccray's been on and ryan brown you know a lot of the out 2000 ad guys um jason siler that i'm sure you're familiar with i mean he was a fantastic guest um and you know and then we have other ones like you know the art of the podcast and the art of of self-publishing and the idea is that we talk to people about what's the comics or creative background because that fascinates me how do we all you know how do we all fall into either comics or into art or whatever it may be and then how did that lead to being either a comic artist or being a, a writer or being a podcaster or, a, you know, whatever it may be. And it's a, it's an incredibly interesting story that people have. And it's always very personal. But also, as I'm doing more of them, there are themes that come out, you know, there are common themes like we were talking before about the emotional attachment to certain things. Mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff and yeah i mean i've been very lucky that i've had some absolutely brilliant guests because you know as i'm sure you know um the guests are you know probably more important than the host for a lot of podcasts so i do apologize for today's show listeners um <laughs> I'm sure but, you know i'm, I'm, I'm sure it'll be really fine for the record <laughs> yeah so yeah it's about you know i say it's, it's a sporadic podcast because it doesn't come out you know i try and do it every other week um sometimes a bit like buses, we'll have two at once and then none for three weeks or whatever. Um, and we just cover all things, you know, art, creative and all things comics, really. But then we'll throw in anything we feel like, which, again, is that kind of thing I'm trying to um, just stick to, which is if I want to talk about it, if I want to talk about wrestling, I'll talk about wrestling. You know, if I want to talk about music, I'll talk about music. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going well. Get some really nice feedback. And I'm always amazed anybody listens. So, if you do listen and you listen to this, I, I cannot thank you enough because it, you know, it really does 
matter a lot and mean a lot when I see that people have actually downloaded it. Yeah, I I definitely recommend it. I'm a big I, you know, I I subscribe and listen to the episodes. There's definitely been some ones that I found to be really interesting. Actually, especially around podcast stuff, just because that's sort of I don't know my my area. So it's interesting to hear other folks's like origin stories and processes and things related to that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm always making notes as well. So all right, I'll do that. That's a good idea. It's like, <laughs> wish I'd done that. But, um, you know, it, it is interesting. And people, everybody's got a horror story and everybody's got it, you know, and they've always got some good advice for people. And the thing I like about the podcast is no matter what the topic, we always try and look at the process, but we also try and look at any advice they can give budding creators. And mm. everybody is willing to share. I mean, that's the great thing about, particularly I think in the comics world, is that everybody's happy to share the, you know, not so trade secrets to help other people. And mm-hmm. that's good that. You know, that's really good. I, mean, I remember talking to one person who was saying about they, they worked in photography for a while. And in photography, nobody will tell anybody else how they do things. You know, it's kind uh, of like, interesting, yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's my thing. And and comics is completely different. You know, they'll tell you everything. Um, because again, you know, like some some guests have said, I can tell you everything I know without fear that you're then going to suddenly go off and take work from me because, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I've just told you how to do it. And you've got to practice and put the work in. So hopefully you'll get there. But, you know, so it's, it's that kind of mentality about, you know, sharing and we all, we all get better as a collective really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I always, my, my standard feeling is that we all got to stick together for this stuff. You know, it's just sort of. Yeah, we can all we, we can all help each other out and help each other up. I think there's there's I know for podcasting stuff and I think for comic stuff too. Actually, there's there's room for everybody in the or there's room for a lot of people in the market. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, Just don't be boring. Yeah, come on, <laughs> get it together. You know. <laughs> all right. Oh man, this is great. But I think at last it's time for us to start talking about this here special. Mm. Oh, I, I guess I, I I should ask. Um, did you get the like you said you started um reading the progs in the seventies? So did you read this special when it came out, or do you have memories of reading the specials in general? I, do, I guess I do remember. I do, I used to love the sci-fi specials. Um, again, particularly you know the ones that I was remember with the kind of mid to late eighties. Um. And then I carried on reading them for a few years. And, and I think this may actually have been the last one that I ever bought. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Because I was just, yeah, because I was starting to step away from, from kind of 2000 AD at the time a little bit mm-hmm. and comics in general. And um, there was there's some sort of personal circumstances with 1992. So, um, I mean, without wishing to put it down on things, but... Uh, my mum died in the summer of 92. Oh, I'm which sorry. Yeah. I, was, I was, well, I mean, yeah, you know. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, you know, that's life yeah. though, isn't it? You know, and and so this was a this was a strange experience for me because um, I was 19 at the time. So I was still quite young, really. And um, I remember buying this, this prog and I can remember not reading it for a very long time and kept mm. flicking through it and thinking, no, because it, as we'll come on to, it is quite dark. It's quite a dark. I, I feel it's a, a quite a dark themed issue, you know, mm-hmm. and I couldn't really bring myself to read it for a while. And I think it was probably the year after I actually read it. Um, and then, and consequently, I'd actually forgotten a lot about it until, until I reread it for this show. And yeah, so it all kind of, and it brought those kind of memories back as well, you know, and that's, that's what I was talking about before about the context of, mm. you know, comics and things. So even though I don't 
find it um maybe it, it wouldn't make my top 10 of comics it ha- it does still have this strange kind of um, importance to me but it's a strange mm-hmm. importance that i wouldn't say i enjoy reading it but <laughs> right. yeah that you know yeah i, 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 I see of, what you mean for sure yeah yeah I definitely say don't don't be don't like feel bad about be about stepping away from the comic. I feel like we're definitely entering the era where just talking to prog oneers or people who are read the read the comics mm. in the early stages. This is you know this is where everybody is getting into their teens, and you've just got and I, I feel like kids of the day or whatever. You know that you just have a better use of fifty pence a week or whatever than yeah. than comics. Yeah. You're. You know, you, you, you're buying video games or you're going on dates or whatever else. Like there's just yep. sort of other there, – there becomes other things to do and it's the eternal – it's the eternal problem of, of of comics that you only get any given reader for a couple years and then they're on to other things. I always remember I read a book about the history of Marvel and they talked about how – they had a, a statistic that basically said they had an entirely new readership every four years or so in like yeah. the in, in like the sixties and like like for the sixties seventies and eighties basically you could just count on yeah. that if you kind of not re re ran the same story but told a similar story every five years you would you would never have to worry about people saying like hey like you did this before because there no one will be reading those comics yeah yeah that's probably why a lot of these um sci-fi specials reprinted earlier stories from sci-fi specials absolutely <laughs> absolutely yeah and why they had that five-year moratorium on old stuff which is why the early ones have reprints of like yeah. black claw and other and uh, phantom patrol and things like that yeah, but yeah and you know that then becomes a challenge when you're getting into the 90s where you reach that point where you you know one generation of readers moves on but the new ge- the, the, the next generation isn't reading comics or something like that it's well that's a, the danger now isn't it let's yeah, be honest you know i mean the, it's, it's the existential crisis to comic books i think it's yeah, just sort of yeah. kids and, not learning to read comics basically no no, and the distribution model's gone to shit over here in the UK. So, you know, we when I was a kid, you could go and you could buy comics at the news agents, you know, at the corner shop kind of thing. Mm. And um, now you can't. You know, the only thing you can buy is if you're lucky, you'll see 2000 AD. But then it's a load of just like film tie-in crap with, you know, bits mm-hmm. of plastic stuck on the front. That's it. <laughs> you know, you don't get actual DC or Marvel comics or anything like that. Mm-hmm. in those shop, shops anymore and that's where i got hooked you know yeah so, no yes yeah, it's, it's it's just it's it's hard to find for sure it's it's tough it's this modern comic stuff oh man okay so here we go with that with with, with that downer let's continue yes. on to this special we're going to the fun fun part of the show right? exciting all right so just to give you an idea of where we are last episode we finished Prague uh, 779 so we closed out stuff like uh tales from the on science the clown and book one of finn and right. we're right on the verge of uh, of a bunch of new stories in 780. That's going to be a big relaunch, Prague, with um, where we'll have the start of Button Man, uh, uh, among others. And then we're also getting real close to the start of the uh, Judgment Day storyline as well. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Button Man's amazing, isn't it? It's like absolute. Yeah, we've in recording ahead. Um, we've just finished it, and I'm so I I I, I love it so much. Um, it was yeah. so great to talk about for sure. Beautiful, beautiful. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So into the special itself, uh, the cover of the special has this sort of content looking Tharg. He's doing that, uh, the Kubrick stare where you kind of like turn your head down and look out through your eyebrows or whatever. Um, and then there's some computer generated neurons or something behind him. It's, it's by Steve Cook. And while it's a fine picture, I got to say that I'm kind of down on it because this cover is a high res version of the portrait of Tharg that's going to be in the nerve center, basically from Prague 800 to Prague 949 or so. Like this. Yeah. Is, I mean, let's be honest, it's crap in it, really. You know, I mean, it, I'm not being, no disrespect to Steve Cook, but this was, this was a poor choice. It was, it was just a, you know, I, I grew up with, with the sci fi special covers, which had dread bursting through the cover mm-hmm. on a Lawmaster and stuff like that, you know. And then you, but again, it sums up. The period, you know, we were in this in the UK, particularly, we were just in this kind of new digital age mm-hmm. where we didn't actually know what that meant, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. we were still doing the, um, you know, computers were on, they were even on dial up a lot of them, do you know what I mean? It was, it was yeah. dire. And it, yeah. it, for me, it does sum up where we were. And I, coming out of art college where I studied illustration and we had the graphics guys in the next room and it was like the West Side Story, you know, we hated each other, <laughs> you know, because like they because, oh. you know, we did proper drawing and painting. But mm-hmm. they just started using computers when I left. And it just reminds me of that. It's like, yeah, you know, it's pretty poor, really. Got some computer stuff to put together here, you know, got some tessellated images or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, yeah. And so I don't know. It's and also I'll definitely agree that I really, you know, I'm, I'm always a fan of when there's a, a montage cover or something. You know, it's always fun when you get what's going to be in the special in on, on the cover and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, in, then we got a on the inside cover. There's a credit page where Tharg lays out the theme of this special, which is basically um, un, uh, unfamiliar creative teams working with familiar characters. Basically, we've swapped around some writers and artists to work on different characters. It's anarchy, but more on that later, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and, you can tell as well. I think uh, as well. You know, we're not wishing to preempt anything, but you, there's a sense of unfamiliarity with some of the characters that I think comes through rereading it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know, there's, there's definitely one or two that feel very weird just in terms of like time and place or whatever else, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, I, I agree completely. Yeah. So I guess we can go back in time now as we talk about Thrill One, Strontium Dog. <laughs> Script robot Peter Hogan, art robot John Ridgway, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse. This is the first time on the podcast for uh, for Peter Hogan, who'll go on to write a ton of inventive thrills for 2000 AD, including some uh, Durham Red and Strontium Dogs. But this is his. But this is, I, I believe, his only time working with the classic team here of uh, Johnny Alpha and Wolf. Yeah, um, I think R- John Ridgway's really interesting choice for Strontium Dogs, just because we know from stuff like Dead Man that he can do a sort of sci-fi western mix. I guess. Yeah, I mean, Dead Man is, I, I just think, is, is beautiful work. I mean, I think John Ridgway is yeah. a tremendous artist anyway, but Dead Man was, mm-hmm. I mean, even thinking about it now, I can remember reading that in the on the weeklies, and it was so exciting. I remember being mesmerized by the artwork. It was very um, evocative of that kind of, that line work of, you know, a, a kind of Bernie Wrightson and Alex Toth kind of thing. You know, it was very detailed, and but Absolutely. also very rough and scratchy, and it was, it was lovely, and... Um, yeah, so this was quite. I was 
looking back at this, I was actually quite surprised it was him mm-hmm. um, because he looks like a different artist. It's it's quite interesting. I think Ridgeway changes a lot in color, actually. Like, yeah, I, I think that's something that it, to especially keep an eye on when we get to um, to Luke Kirby two around Prague eight hundred or so. Just the comparison of of, of the black and white um, Luke Kirby from Summer Magic and the and the color one in yeah. um, in in part two. I think it does change a little bit. I feel like. Similarly, like like Junker also sort of looked different from his other black from his black and white work as well. Um, though that was also going towards this sort of I don't know classic at- uh, atomic age kind of uh, sci-fi artwork as well. <laughs> but so here we are on the sleazy frontier planet of Hirfu with Johnny Alpha and Wolf, and these. Clearly, seem like the uh, the Star Lord versions of these characters. Yes, you know Johnny yeah. with with the helmet. You know uh, Wolf with the axe. Not not even the Gronk in sight. You know these are very old school versions of these Tronium Dog characters. Yeah, yeah, and he's still wearing the pelt as well, isn't he? So um... uh, oh yeah, the pelt of the first Gronk, indeed. <laughs> yeah. So so and it's quite interesting because um, again, just just touching on the design and the the characters and stuff. I mean, yeah, I, I thought this. It, it looked very much like something from Star Lord, and I kept wishing when I was rereading it. I just wish it was all done in black and white because mm-hmm. it would have been. I think it would have been much more atmospheric um, and and just. I don't know. I think it would have pulled the story together a bit more if it was really in that that traditional John Ridgeway style mm-hmm. that that we loved. Um, but obviously, this was the era of you know color printing and and you know trying to get some some kind of color on every page where they could so mm-hmm. i just think it suffers for that though if i'm honest with you but yeah i, I love a wild west theme yeah. i love a bar brawl you know <laughs> yeah and, that's what um, we get yeah the the bounty hunters burst into the saloon they ask about a fugitive named david paradise nobody wants to talk <laughs> so johnny shoots the mirror behind the bar as you do and yes. then and and then when when one of the um one of the patrons like pulls a gun, Johnny hits him with a time bomb, sends him eight hours into the future where they then fall to space, including just two guys that were just sitting at the table like they didn't know. No, <laughs> they were just hanging out. Does, <laughs> my question is, how quick does that planet move? You know, I mean, eight hours, and they're going, it's it's spun and it's moved on, and you're like, Jesus. You know, that's that's some fast-moving planet, isn't it? I you feel know? like, yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like eight hours is actually long. I feel like usually they say like two hours or something. I mean, I feel yeah. like planets do move, like planets do move pretty fast depending on where you are. Although, I guess to my understanding, maybe you might end up like in the middle of the planet or something, as opposed to it depends on where you yeah. are in the planet's True. rotation, I suppose. <laughs> or True. rotation. Well, yeah, two mates do cop for it though, don't they? Just for, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in a bar and you've got one dickhead mate who kicks off, and before you know it, you're all in the middle of a load of aggro. (laughs) It's tough. Yeah, definitely. After that, though, the bartender does tell Johnny where to go. He says to ask the walking lady. She's the only one who knows where to find Paradise, and then gives him a bottle for the road, and we see Wolf tick and pulls from it as as they walk out. Yeah, yeah. He's a cool dude, Wolf, isn't he? He's, you know, he uh, goes with the flow. He does. He's he's as well as you could expect from a literal like ninth century Viking who finds himself in a sci-fi setting. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I mean, the thing the thing with this is, right, it's interesting when they swap creators around. Is that I don't think really Wolf is um, he's not quite the character that we know and love 
as Ulf. You know, he's mm-hmm. a bit more kind of monotone and he's a bit almost a bit denser in so much as, you know, he's very monosyllabic mm-hmm. and he doesn't really, you know, and it's, I don't know, I just felt it, it just didn't yeah, I, feel like the character we love, you know what I mean? There was a bit less humor there and he was just a bit bit dumb, really. Yeah, he does, I don't think he calls anybody a cucumber in the course of this no. one, which is a tell, you know, come on. <laughs> Um, yeah. But so, as they're outside, a local Hirfuman, who I guess is an alien or some kind of small human or something with a white oh, face, man. you know, says that um, he knows where to find he, – he can take the Strandium Dogs to the lady, to the walking lady for some local cash, which very much seems like sort of the Strandium Dog version of in a Western, like, I don't know, like a Native American or something telling you stuff, which is is questionable. Um they agree, and he leads them out onto the prairie, where an old woman with a staff and a white bandage around her eyes waits. She speaks in these quavering word bubbles full of prophecy and stuff, um, <laughs> and says that Paradise sold her people drugs, possibly poisoned ones, and so she judged him guilty. Yeah. And his yeah. Pun- yeah, pretty pretty solid. I'm fair with it. And so he um, was sentenced to walk out into the desert eating fistfuls of his own drugs as he went. So Wolf Seems and John, fair. Yeah, listen, you got to be careful when you're dealing with mystic situations, you get some mystic punishments, you know? Um. <laughs> well, do you know what makes me, um, makes me feel sorry for Johnny and Wolf here is they have to spend, I think they say that, is it two and a half days they walk through the desert? And they've got to go two and a half days with this bloody idiot that keeps saying things like wiki-wacky and... I, <laughs> He was getting right on my nerves. And he's only in about four panels. And I'm just thinking, he's, he's really winding me up. Oh, it, yeah. I didn't even notice that in that text bubble. Yeah, that they had to go out yeah. there for two days. So they had to, like, make camp and stuff like that. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, with that idiot hanging around. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's made it. <laughs> Absolutely. So eventually, way out in the desert, they find Paradise's body being picked apart by space buzzards. Um and with a bag of powder in hand, so he clearly was following the instructions of the walking lady. Um, Johnny grabs the body, uses a time drogue, which can sort of detime people, put, take people back in time to yeah. bring him back to life and confirm the kill, basically, <laughs> that he goes yeah. back into a corpse. That's pretty good, though. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, you just keep doing it, though, wouldn't you? With some people, to be fair. <laughs> You're bringing them back. <laughs> off you go. I mean, <laughs> it, it is funny that he brings them back and then immediately turns it off and, like, lets them die again. I've, I've seen versions yeah. of the where they use this and the person's brought fully back to life, but yeah. then they're always almost immediately sort of killed in, like, crossfire or something, like, something falls on them or something like that. Yeah. It's like a very fate, like, a death claims their own. You can't use the time drogue to keep someone alive for long yeah, periods yeah. of time. You gotta go to a space wizard for that. We all we all remember these stories. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah, this yeah. guy didn't even get a chat, didn't even finish his sentence, did he? Mm-hmm. Well yeah. Johnny didn't want to deal with it. You know, he didn't want to keep this guy. He, I, I feel like he rightly worried that if you brought him fully back to life, the walking lady would not be pleased. You know, no. we see them walking out of the desert with Wolf carrying the body over his shoulder and they bump into her again. They thank her, and she's clearly some kind of mystic and creeps Johnny out with some, you know, obviously, 
it is sort of a it is an easy toss here to have a prophet to have a, a a mysterious prophecy for these characters that we know will both be violently killed in yeah. the next couple yeah. of years of their life, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't lean into it a bit more, though, because it is a bit... Um, That's your right, yeah. Although, I, I mean, I know, feel I, like she says you do not see enough, perhaps one day, which reminds me that, like, Johnny, like, is blinded when he dies and things like that, really? I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Poor Wolf, though. She doesn't say anything to him, does she? Yeah, no, he's, he's, I mean? he's an afterthought. It's, it's a real bummer, you know? Outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> didn't deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> So the two men walk off into the sunset, lugging Paradise's body, resolving to just say they killed him instead of trying to explain all this stuff that just happened. The end. But you would, you know, yeah. what was it, 30,000 credits on the line? You, you, you'd kind of, you know, you're yeah. not going to fess up that he was already brown bread, were you? Yeah, listen, you, you know. got the body, you got a picture of him when he was alive briefly, it's fine. Don't worry about yeah. it too much, you know? Away we go. Brown bread. <laughs> These, this terminology. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Oh, no. Fine with me. But speaking of a mysterious deaths, let's talk about Thrill 2 Animal House. Script Robot John Smith, Art Robot Chris Weston, tech story time. And I, I did specifically, like, I, I got halfway through this one, Davey, and I, I messaged you on, on Twitter and said that feel free to just breeze through this one. And that's that's fine. <laughs> There's a, as always... In these specials, it's a, it's John Smith dropping a lot of words and a lot of body horror on us. You know, it's sort yep. of it's a tra- it's traditional in these in these specials these days. I feel like the last couple of years, actually. Yeah, um, and I think maybe um, I'm just I mean, skim read it. I think I will go back and read it properly. I'll just. I must confess, I just didn't read it properly. For there's this a lot show. of it's there's a lot of interesting that. stuff in here for sure, and very again mm. like John Smith doing his doing his thing basically. Um, oh yeah, but which is which is <laughs> as fine. we'll it's, see later on as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're on the way. But this is a, it, this one's the story of a uh, a stage magician named Walton Ladale from a Northwest Calhab, which is uh, Scotland in Dreadworld. Like I said, he's a stage magician. He's got actual psychic gifts, which let him read people's minds and stuff like that. Which, mm-hmm. I, l- listen, it's uh, at, at first I was like, oh, having psychic gifts to read people's minds as part of stage show, that's kind of cheating. But I, then I realized that's actually specifically what people say they have in those shows. And then <laughs> they they do tricks to like cold read people or whatever. So it's oh, a, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. I don't know if it's as impressive in a world where you act where a psychic is just kind of another branch of the justice department or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly a game changer, is he? You know it, I mean? It's just it's not it's not as unique, I guess. I don't know, but <laughs> it'd be better if he was actually cold reading. Yeah, that, that's right. like a skill as opposed to just some freak thing he was born with. If you think about yeah. it. <laughs> Um, but so he's been – he and his wife, uh, Doreen, have been sort of semi-failures in the stage business. But one day he gets his big break, which is to use his powers and do his performance on uh, the Royston Seville show, which seems like – I don't know. I, I was trying to figure out the the name, which – might be Jimmy Savile, but I don't know. It's hard to tell with when there's combos. Like sort of, I imagine sort of Johnny Carson and Jimmy Savile mixed together, basically. Um, but 
In the middle of the performance, his power goes wonky and he explodes Royston's guts on live TV, which we get a pretty good Chris Weston picture of right at the start of the uh, of the comic. And yeah. because of that, he's arrested and then diagnosed by the judges while he's in custody with the psychic with a psychic disease called Nyman Sachs, which is a psychic bone disease where like his powers make your bones grow out of control or something. He'll be dead in a couple weeks is the point. And until then, he's quarantined in a cursed earth medical facility where all the people with weird Judge Dredd diseases go. Jigsaw d- disease, uh, Grubbs disease, which is the one that makes you uh, grow mushrooms, uh, 2T fruity, which is the one from the cursed <laughs> – that, that Dredd had to carry the, uh, the cure to to the cursed earth, the one where you yeah. turn into a spider, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, also- it's quite a selection, isn't it? It'd be, it'd be a cracking. Uh, we have a channel over here called Channel Four that always shows these kind of medical programs. Do you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. the man with fifteen toes and stuff like that. Sure, and uh, he'd be bang on here. He'd have his own series going. And just going I- back to the name as well, Royston Savile. I think I could be wrong, but potentially we we had this um, in the nineties. Um, there was like a resurgence probably against a, a more kind of um, accepting culture for kind of adult comedy again that was a bit more offensive. So people went back to the stuff that, you know, you couldn't really say um, uh-huh. and then would deliberately say it to provoke reactions. And there's, a, there's one of the main proponents of that. And he's still going today. He's a guy called Roy Chubby Brown. Oh, I, I'm and, not familiar uh, with that one. Yeah, that's another no, one, of these, no. one of these little yeah. avenue, little UK avenues. That I yeah, they learn, are. I learn he's, about. He's, his, his actual name is Royston Vasey. That was his actual ah. real name, which obviously was the name of, if anybody listening has ever seen The League of Gentlemen, the brilliant sort of dark BBC TV comedy, mm-hmm. that was called Royston Vasey. Um, and I think it was a combination of that Royston and, as you say, the aforementioned uh, Sir Jimmy Savile that ended up, um, shall yeah. we say, has not, not ending well. Yeah, in <laughs> 1992, I, I believe he has not yet fallen from grace, but it's only not a matter yet. of time, no, I suppose. It was on its way. <laughs> sort of. I, I was thinking of now as like, yeah, oh, whatever. Let's get let, let let's move on. Better not gotten into. Um, no, I do like this image by Chris Weston, just of all these weird like mega city <laughs> mega city diseases in one place. Oh, yes. part way yeah. through. There's a guy who's yeah, missing some jigsaw pieces, a dude with mushrooms coming out of the top of his head, someone who's mid-spider transformation. It's all pretty fun, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it, again, it is um, for, for kind of the old school throwbacks. It's a nice little image. You know, there's lots of things that you look at that and go, oh, God, I remember, oh, I remember that. You know, the fungus disease and the, the jigsaw man and all that stuff. Yeah, a lot definitely. Of, it's a nice callback. Definitely. Yeah, so many of those are, are these classic 80s, like uh, Jigsaw from The Judge Child and Fungus from Post-Apocalypse War and things like that. Yeah, it's a fun it's a fun callback for sure. Uh, there, there's rumors in the prison there's a drug that can cure all these diseases and Walt and a few others plan to steal it and escape the hospital prison, also known as the Animal House. That's where we get the title. Uh, they do and then steal a plane and fly back to Mega City 1. Where they get shot down, land in the middle of a pro healthcare protest underway, and then all get gunned down by the judges. Sort of once more speaking to this kind of uh, dark theme in the uh, in the stories we're reading this time. It was just amazing you didn't see it coming. Really, there's definitely like there's a very fraught part 
towards the end of the story where they talk about the judges, like him being at this protest and then the judges like showing up and drawing their guns. And the whole time people are saying like, you know, don't worry about them. They aren't going to do anything. We're like protesting out in public. They wouldn't dare attack us. And they all get killed. Basically, it's a very like it's one of these things where. This could be a very happy story of a successful movement to, like, heal these sick people in Mega City 1, but instead it ends with them being gunned down by the cops yeah, instead. Yeah, and again, there was um, kind of elements of this, which I think were based on the kind of political landscape of the UK at the time. So, you know, there were protests around kind of the healthcare system. We've always got protests around the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this, actually, because it's something that is sort of, um, you know, I'm not in the milieu of in in 1982, certainly. Yeah, so, you know, we've always had a a battle around the NHS, which is our national health system, where it gives free access to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And it's always been on the radar for the conservative governments at the time to basically just dismantle and privatise. And... There was also a move at the time around we had the poll tax riots a couple of years earlier where people mm-hmm. were protesting about their freedoms and stuff and, and about you know unfair charges being levied against the poorest in society. So I got an element of that with this where I felt, you know, there's a little bit the bits I did skim read, um, I did get a sense that John was he was making some very valid points about, you know, there's a great line in there about being ill is not a crime, you know. Mm-hmm. And th- even today you know, I mean, I'm, I know you guys in the States have this debate quite a lot about, you know, people having access to, to health care and, and all the rest of it. Sure. Um, and it's the same here. You know, even though we do have the NHS, well, we partially have it now because this shower of shit have privatized most of it. But, you know, it's it's still one of those fundamental things that people will um, fight for. You know, it's one of the few things sure. that will stand up and fight for. And I, I found that really interesting, actually, knowing that John's a good northern lad. Um, like myself, it'll be be dear to his heart as well. I don't think he'll have much love for the the government at the time, um, which was obviously no. John I mean, Major's yeah, this is. Vi- I I I would say that this era is. I mean, obviously has been through through the eighties and now into the nineties. I mean, I know the magazine has had quite a few things making fun of John Major in the course of of, of things, and general, you know, they're generally yeah. Um, a, a, uh, against these policies, for sure. Against policies to limit mm. um, people getting health care and other things, for sure. How dare they? <laughs> How dare people get well? <laughs> How dare, indeed. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, counterpoint. Like some of these guys are turned into spiders. You know, that, that that's tough. <laughs> well, that's that's yeah. I mean, you've got to draw the line somewhere. I mean, you know, you know on, the, on if the other dude's hand, losing half his body in jigsaw pieces. Yeah. You know, it's hard. You've got to kind of draw the line. <laughs> well, you know, counterpoint: modern problems require modern solutions. You know, but so, <laughs> so on and so forth. Um, but Thank I guess you. speaking of another uh, modern dystopian society, we can go to Thrill Three Brigand Doom. Yeah. Script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Greg Staples, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. Um, even though he's not writing it right here, this is, of course, a constant within these specials and annuals, which is Alan McKenzie's stories getting import, getting plot important, <laughs> um, like important <laughs> plot developments going on in the pages of these specials and annuals. Yeah. Yeah. You're not in, wrong. 
in this case, um, we've just finished Brigand Doom 2, um, and he's clearly swapping with uh, Tomlinson for Armored Gideon here. It's also very early days for Greg Staples. Um, I think he's still kind of figuring things out a little bit, but he just had yep. a four-parter in Judge Dredd last episode, com- uh, debuted in 761. Also, I don't know how you feel about this, but to me, when we see like the way this story looks, which is black and white, but with a ton of different gray, like like grades of the color gray and stuff like that, yeah, makes me yep. think that this was a color story that's been grayscaled to use the black and white pages of this special, basically. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know actually because it does. I mean, it is dark. It's in, I mean, it's dark in every sense of the word, isn't it? Sure. You know, it's a dark story. It's a it's a dark theme, and it's, it's actually the artwork's incredibly dark as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's but like, difficult to read. You know. Yeah, there's parts that are hard to see, and just I don't know. In, in my experience, when you know this again, I'm not really an artist like this, but when people do a black and white comic, then it tends to just be black and white. Like yeah. to the idea of this comic looking like this from from Greg Staples' pen or whatever mean that he's using like multiple grades of ink washes or something like that just to make yeah. these different yeah. shades of gray, I guess. And yeah. it looks more like when I've seen color comics that have been just sort of yes. you, put, you 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 put them on the computer and then put a gr- uh, black and white filter over it or something like that. Mm. I yeah. don't know. No, you could be right. It could be right. It'd be interesting to see if there was there is color versions of it floating yeah, around. Right. I, sh- I, I should have emailed Greg Staples or something. I feel like I, 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 well, I of course I, you should. I always forget I can, you know, <laughs> for yeah, all these things. Yeah, I, I sat I always... next to him in a prison once for a day. That was nice. Oh my! <laughs> yeah, we, it was a convention. And, um, oh okay. <laughs> when we, the, where we were based was in this old prison. It was in uh, Shrewsbury, and the. Um, they, they took over the old Dana prison and in there, there was, get this for a lineup, there was, there was, uh, H and myself. Next to us was Greg Staples. Opposite us was John Wagner. Next to him was David Roach. And in the corner was Brian Tolbert. Oh my God. Now, you talk about imposter syndrome. <laughs> 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 so oh, I had man. the pleasure of seeing Greg Staples and talking to him and having him next to me and he's sketching away and oh my goodness what that that was a treat and john was opposite so we're having a good laugh with him but the only problem was um nobody knew that we were in there so Mm. i think we had about we we had this like legends row of of yeah british art that feels like a, a dozen people came in all day because that feels like, like I, I be honestly, just just thinking about it makes me feel like you know I just sort of I, I feel like I I just stay there all day because those are all those are all artists yeah. I want to talk to certainly or you know, yeah I would have paid money to be there actually. yeah, yeah um, definitely but yeah unfortunately nobody knew they were there and so we had very little traffic which was an absolute crime although it did give me an excuse to as I say <laughs> have a good chat with Brian Solbert and people like that so oh, man. Uh, but yeah so I often joke that you know I've been in prison with. John Wagner and Greg Staples. Absolutely, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, I do apologize. Oh no, I, I, you know, I wouldn't have let that hang. Certainly, I know these stories. <laughs> but so we see um, a girl crying, terrified in her bed. She's scared of the monster in her closet named Mister Wooloo. 
she hears his voice and um, sees him creeping at like the door of the wardrobe, I guess not closet, but wardrobe sort of creaking open a little bit the way you see things when you're when you're a child, I think. Um, her father's told her that there's nothing in that closet except for clothes and the smell of mothballs. Oh man, nothing good's come ever comes from mothballs, does it? Well, and it is that sort of a I don't know if you're if you're a brigand doom head like we are here on Space Spinner, you know that uh, brigand doom also smells like mothballs. That's a key part of his character as well. So in the present, in the city of Brigand Doom, it's three minutes to prime shift, and Investigator Nine is dealing with a hostage situation. This lady, Doreen Gray. Which, of course, play off Dory and Gray, but also kind of a funny coincidence because the main character's wife in the previous story was also named Doreen. Sort of a weird thing. But so anyway, she's holding her dead husband, Malcolm, hostage, demanding money in a high interest bank account, hormone replacement therapy and some minty biscuits. But instead just gets taken out by a sniper. And her dead husband is the current Prime Minister, John Major, at the time. Yes, of course. I know, I'd know those glasses anywhere, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and he's grey, which was about right, because he yeah. was always grey. I mean, this, again, these, this part where you go into like her, her apartment or something is so black. It's just like yeah. tiny pieces of grey uh, 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 peeking out of a black background. Um. But so she gets taken out by a sniper, and this all reminds in- Inspector Nine or yeah, I- Investigator Nine of something, but she doesn't really think about it. Instead, she goes, takes a shower, still thinking about this woman, her husband killed, credit rating annexed, kids taken into care, and then decides, as you do, to try out another one of those Brigand Doom capsules that she's picked up. I want to know do. I want to know what those capsules are. They haven't told us yet. It's infuriating. Mm. Um, Doom. It must be good, though. I mean, yeah. Listen, I'm seeing a lot of special effects involved with these things. Seems nice. (laughs) Uh, Doom then appears, does his usual, we, uh, we aren't that different, you and I, kind of spiel, and reminds her that, indeed, her father was killed in an accident at work, which caused her to freak out and sort of become like cat like just stay in her room sort of be be almost catatonic or something like that she was so affected by it and then mm. her mother then lost all of her money and was arrested for shoplifting and things like that we it's like i'm sort of skimming over it but the images are really are are, are really cool here if hard to see again because they're so dark of just um a young nine, like sitting, like lying in the fetal position on the side of her bed. Staples is, is I, I think, is really, really, um, like, it, it, sorry, going back. I always joke that John Ridgway is the master of drawing uh, uh, scared children, but I think Staples gives him a, a, a run for his money here with nine oh, yeah, giant eyes yeah. full of tears in the course of this story. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But so she was sort of so broken by both um, her father's death and her mother's arrest that she was taken into um, into care where she then threw herself into into um, her studies and eventually became in, in, in investigator nine sort of with her her past sort of buried under 
her um her memory and things sort of not really having a past not really coming from anywhere not having a name just being this righteous investigator and upholder of the law yeah it's uh, interesting because i know the theme is is kind of around um you know her fear as a child and stuff and and loss and and the ensuing kind of depression mm-hmm. um and i think that's that might be why if they have grayscaled this from color why they chose to do that because it probably wouldn't have worked. Even with muted tones, it probably wouldn't have carried that sense of foreboding and, and you know, um, just kind of, yeah. it's almost like she's living in a negative space, isn't it? Do you know what I mean when you read it? It's, Absolutely, it's, yeah. I mean, it's uh, really uh, well done. Fox and I have talked about this um, uh, uh, a little bit for, for Brigand Dooms um, especially, which is that it's a comic that I think really needs to be in black and white. Um, just sort of the, yeah. the themes they touch on and the way things work. There was a there there was one edition of it in another special which was in color, and I feel like it sort of it, it lost something. I think in in being able in in having yeah. the full color for the characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so at this point, Doom laughs and basically says, even as she tries to deny it, that he's addicted to those gas capsules and asks a very pertinent question of like, hey, you seem to be doing these a lot. Like, have you noticed that you aren't running out of them? <laughs> Which is like, whoa, wait a yeah. minute. <laughs> How long has it been, yeah. you know? Um, he's, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's dealing, isn't he? He's doing a little bit of the old... Uh... You know, yeah. the never empty bowl of capsules from um, beyond the grave again, or something. And I don't know. <laughs> that, it's crazy. But that, that page 25 that we're on at the moment, I mean, some of the imagery on there is absolutely spectacular. You know, the top right kind mm. of um, painting with, with uh, you know, bringing doom and, and there's just like the light around the, the top of the hat. And then underneath yeah. that, there's almost like a Joker-esque type um, inset, you know, and it's just... Yeah. It's wonderful work, isn't it? And it does build this kind of um, sense of tension that he's laying these little little sort of Easter eggs about well, where do you think all these things are coming from? And, mm-hmm. you know, and the idea is, is this all in her head? Is this all part of her own um, psyche? Or is there actually something there that is, is genuinely, you know, keeping her addicted to this stuff? It's it just that, I don't know. I, was ne- I must confess, I was never a huge Brigandoom fan mm-hmm. when I was reading it. But, Having reread this again, and, and you know, it's kind of piqued my interest a little bit. I'm gonna have to go back and, and reread some stuff and reevaluate yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, know, maybe I, I just wasn't in the right frame of mind for it at the time. I admit, I've I was dismissive of it, but 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 Fox loves Brigand Doom. Like it's one of mm. his favorite stories that we've read, and so it's really made me try to reevaluate it and like give it more of a shot, I guess, than I might have been if you just asked me off the top of my head what I thought about Brigand Doom. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But so as he says this and sort of confronts her about her seeming addiction to these ca- – and by the way, like, again, this is why I really want to know what's going on with these capsules. And it's definitely something we have not been told in the course of the story so far, like what they're mm-hmm. making her see, what they did for for Doom originally, stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's yeah. a very it's, it's a very mysterious part of this of this character and this story. Um but so eventually, though, outside – like, it seems like time passes because some troopers appear – outside of her door and say they haven't heard from her in a week and then kick it down and <laughs> they find her looking very like shagged out in a slip or something and she's like what the hell is going on and then immediately just kind of snaps back into her normal self yeah she's been well it infers she's been going cold turkey doesn't it you know oh yeah so, that's right uh, yeah it could be 
I, 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 I feel like it's either cold turkey or she's been on a binge. Like, I feel like either Could be. W- one end of those spectrums, I guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's true. But in the end, uh, she sort of tells the troopers to get lost, uh, gets cleaned up and heads out to her father's grave, which she puts flowers on and seems to have come to terms with things. She says, I didn't do anything wrong. And Mr. Wooloo, the monster in her wardrobe that smells of mothballs, does exist. Oh, yeah. It's a it's a classic redemption story, isn't it? You know, it's got everything you want in a summer special, you know, drug addiction, you know, um, deaths <laughs> of family members and redemption at the end. Oh, and, you know, mysterious capsules. But, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I what guess do you want on the beach? I guess it's better than the one we're going to see later this week in, I think it's this this year in the Judge Dredd uh, mega special, which is about drug addiction and like losing a child or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's just a big downer. Like, oh my God. The dark times, my this friend. 1992 <laughs> is tough, you know? It was tough. Well, again, it was very much though, the, the you know, the, the kind of... Um, the UK at the time, it was a pretty, de- I mean, it's strange it goes around, comes around, but it was a quite a depressing place. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on that, you know, wasn't fun. And mm-hmm. you had elements kicking back against that, particularly in the arts, you know, where people were starting to try and rail against a lot of this stuff. But it, there was quite a sense of oppression. And mm-hmm. we were almost at a boiling point. And we had another five years before we got rid of the current government, you know, but things were definitely at that, that kind of knife edge you know, where mm. you do feel that it could have gone off at any moment. So it doesn't surprise me rereading it. And mm-hmm. and like you talk about other things, you know, but things were hard hitting at the time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very interesting actually looking back, but yeah, it's a, uh, I mean, one thing about this story you've got to say is that even though it's an early Greg Staples, he's showing his chops, isn't he? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He Absolutely. can show that he's, he's got the skills and, you know, obviously what he becomes later on. And now he's possibly one of the finest, you know, artists mm-hmm. working, you know, in, in major publications is a beautiful painter, but you can still see it here. There's a genesis of it here. And it's a bit like some of the other artists we'll talk about, you know, it's not quite the finished article, but you can see they're already pretty much on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Absolutely. And speaking, I guess, of um, people speaking out or talking about the state oh, of Britain at the to. time. Just go real quick with Thrill 4, Public Enemy, which oh. is uh, written by Peter Hogan, arts by uh, Sh- uh, Shorner. And a quick it, it, – it, uh, we got an interview with a fancy suit and coat wearing John Lydon, no relation, um, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols and Public Image Limited. Listen, I don't want to talk about too much about uh, politics or, or punkiness within music and things like that. I will say that for whatever else, this really feels like the desire to be cool that I feel like is soaked through 2080s editorial staff at the time, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm a huge Sex Pistols fan. I was a huge punk fan, even though I was only kind of like four or five at the time. I can remember quite vividly because um, my brother was a bit older, that whole mm-hmm. movement. And I, I I would love to have been a punk, but my mum said I was too young, so I wasn't allowed. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, so I, I kind of always was like an older, older kind of punk lover, and I still am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love the Pistols. I love public image. You know, I thought they were it was tremendous. I love the whole conceit of Johnny Rotten. And, I, you know, that, that, that it was a character. 
and John Lydon's always been a character. Unfortunately, now he's taken the, the character of like a, a bitter old shithouse who just mm-hmm. is just, you know, just spouts this bile, unfortunately, which he always did. But there was always an element, I feel, of, of tongue in cheek about it where, you know, you never took anything seriously. Whereas now, you know, when you grow older and you see your heroes actually become the very thing that you wanted them to rail against when they were younger. It's quite depressing. Mm-hmm. Morris is another one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what on earth happens to people when they get older? <laughs> I don't know. It happens to me. It's just, that'll be it. You know, H has got her instructions. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting <laughs> article. And it is funny because they are trying to be a bit like, you know, hey, look at us, you know, we're a bit on the edge, we're a bit this. But then they bleep all the expletives out, <laughs> which right. is kind of, you know, it's like, well, you're not really that much kind of on the edge, are you? And he yeah. just does his usual thing. He does his Johnny Lydon, you know, yeah, shtick of He's very much ho- like holding court just about, you know, yeah. politics and the record industry and music and all this stuff. I guess I'm I'm kind of down on it, I guess, just because the first two questions are very much like, I've never heard of 2000 AD. I don't like comics. And so it, it to me it makes it feel more like the interview. It's like it's more like oh we got this interview with this cool guy, uh, even if he isn't really that into what what we're doing. I yeah. guess I'm I'm just I'm comparing it in my mind to uh, an interview in these specials they had with like Lenny Henry say who is really into comics and will talk yeah. about like Halo yeah. Jones or something you know knows something about 2000 AD or whatever. Um, yeah. This makes me feel like in terms of like appropriateness, I guess. But I think this is appropriate for the theme of this mm-hmm. special, though, because it, this is a very – I get the sense with this special that it's – as it progresses, it get, tries to shock more. You know, it tries mm-hmm. to do that, that. It's almost like it can't quite decide whether it wants to – not shock or shock. So they start off with with a story that's, you know, pretty lighthearted. And then it goes a little bit darker with the second thrill. And then the third thrill, it gets a bit darker again. And then you've got this, which seems like an appropriate interview. If you're going to try and be, you know, that, that kind of um, British mentality of like, you know, sticking two fingers up to the establishment. And this <laughs> is the perfect interview to have, even though it mm-hmm. just doesn't really say anything. And then the, the next story is leading on. Um, probably with the exception of the Dread story, but, the, you know, the, they carry on with this kind of, it's almost deliberately out to shock and upset people. And I do mm-hmm. believe there was an element of them trying to stick the flag in the sand about, you know, maybe a bit more along the, the vertigo lines of, you know, this is more mm-hmm. for adults and that kind of stuff. But they never quite go the whole hog. You know, they, they get close yeah. to it a little bit, but they don't quite really commit. So it always looks a bit like it's just done for show. And I think mm-hmm. that's probably why some of it doesn't doesn't work. But yeah, if you'd have put Lenny Henry in the middle of this, it would have looked completely no, yeah, bizarre. That's, yeah, that that'd be out of left you know, field as I well get for what sure. You mean, yeah, completely. So, but yeah, you, if you've not read this, you're not missing anything. It's usual John Lydon saying he doesn't like anything, he doesn't like anyone, <laughs> um, and then doing a lot of sneering, which right. you know at the time I thought was pretty good, yeah. and now I think. I feel like it's it's yeah it's yeah, it's, spe- it's specifically the kind of thing that's that speaks to your inner seventeen year old I think or whatever, that yeah. that that part of you where everything sucks you know and how much you've nurtured that as the years have gone by it means how, is how much you appreciate He's committed the, article, the ultimate crime boring <laughs> he was he was boring in this interview 
and he's even more boring now. Oh, so, man. Yeah. You know, that is, that is the ultimate heart. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to uh, – yeah, so let's keep going with the shock value, certainly, with Thrill 5 yeah. Rogue Trooper. Woof. Wow. Uh, Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Brett Ewens and Jim McCarthy, lettering robot Annie Parkhouse. Very nice to see Ewens back on Rogue Trooper one way or another. Uh, the last time he drew Rogue was back in 1983 with, uh, ble- with, with Venus Blue Jeans and stuff. So it's fun to see him yeah. back here and how his art style has um, evolved and stuff. And I think Miller's an interesting choice for Rogue as well. I'm, I'm gl- and I'm glad that he didn't swap with Fleischer for the, this special. <laughs> Bad enough of like yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's interesting, it's just before we get into the story, it's like mm-hmm. again, I'm a big fan of Brett Ewins. I always loved his work. I never quite understood how much it was Brett and Jim McCarthy. You know what I mean? It was like one of those mm-hmm. weird double acts that I never quite bottomed out who did what and whether they were interchangeable or you know, because they seem to do everything together at some point. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I've always uh, like been a, a big fan. On writing teams like Pat Mills and Tony Skinner right now as well. Yeah, they're, 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 they only yeah. they're pretty much only working as a, as as a team for these things. Yeah, and it works perfectly. But I've always been a fan of Brett Yoon's style, and it's always really pulled me back to that that underground style of art and comics mm-hmm. that I used to love. Um, you know, we used to have a magazine over here called Oz. And years ago, and a friend of mine who's much older than me gave me um, his copies, and I've got them up in the in the loft somewhere. Um, and that was this very much challenging underground style where people would look at it and go like, "Oh, I'm not sure about that," you know. Mm-hmm. But it's beautiful in its construction. You know, it's it's got that naive quality to it, but yeah, it's it just works, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Brett Evans. I mean, you know, obviously the Bad Company stuff and all that. It's yeah. just different level, but yeah. And uh, yes, very interesting story choice by Mark Miller here, which um, I've got a theory about the story, and we'll come on to it at the end. Ooh, okay. If you, if you, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, so you can tell me I'm talking bollocks. But... Hey, well, you know, that's what we're here to do, to be honest. Like, you know, <laughs> come on. Um, we've got kind of an, a mix of rogues here, I feel like. Ewan's is definitely drawing classic rogue trooper here. Um, with the two grenades on his backpack and no shirt and stuff like that. Yeah. But he doesn't have biochips in the course of this. You know, none of the, you know, th- there's no bagman or gunner or helm to talk about things. So that's sort of more, a little bit more Friday. But also the bad guys are Nort. So this is, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it's, it's kind of a weird story if you're, if you're thinking about that kind of stuff. It's a fever dream, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. In more ways than one. Absolutely. <laughs> We see a soldier being operated on by some weird bald guys. There's, they, he says they're asking him questions as they cut, both about military information, but also just personal stuff, like when his first kiss was. The soldier then thinks of Rogue Trooper, the blue soldier who was held there for 40 days and 40 nights, telling these torturers nothing. And we get then get some backstory of how once uh, Rogue was tied up with his arms and legs bro- uh, broken, or at least his arms broken. They aren't, that, that's not really reflected in the art very much. Um, but he was really mm. messed up after a fight with someone, broke free, like like killed them. We see him like having ripped out this guy's throat with his with his teeth, basically, and then stumbling off into the jungles of 
New Earth, where he trips over some barbed wire and then is captured by these bald guys, basically. They sort of carry him off in a wheelbarrow. We see a bunch of soldiers in various stages of torture and death, like some being nailed to the walls or um, tear drinkers sucking out people's eyes and things like that. One of them's named uh, Simon Jackie Chan, which is a pretty decent like nickname <laughs> thing in 92 when Jackie Chan wasn't as well known. Um <laughs> And then we see the leader of these bald guys who is this alien in a uh, in like a fur coat with a cigarette and a Hawaiian shirt, kind of a Marlon, uh, a Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now by way of Dr. Moreau kind of feel to him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's uh, this bit. Although that version of The Island of Dr. Moreau wasn't out yet either. So, you know, it's a whole thing. Uh, we see i don't know it's it's so funny when i see things that i feel like like i i, I can explain them to w via reference but i realize that the reference didn't actually exist at that point i don't know <laughs> yeah we, i'm unstuck in time but um we see rogue chained upside down to a wall and there's just a cup a bunch of like knives kind of stabbed into him like lazily <laughs> almost like just people walked by and they jam a knife or two into him basically um he uh as sort of a, a another one of these aliens makes a fierce soup out of gross stuff and threatens oh. to put out one of Ro one of rogue's eyes this bit when you're reading this it's like you are thinking like what the what the fuck is going on here sorry pardon my french but yeah. it's kind of like you're wondering what is going on here because you've got a guy making essentially what is shit soup yeah it says sweat uh, and misery and human waste is what it's made yeah. out of Another like, guy, only two of those are ingredients, you know? <laughs> yeah, misery is really an ingredient. You can't have a cup of misery. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Another guy is, is literally about to jab his, his fork into, quote, in your little white eye. And it's, it's horrific. Mm -hmm. It is genuinely really uncomfortable and to then, read. And, it, and it's the like alien hostile. <laughs> yeah, and and the top alien comes in, and he's very like effeminate. Basically, he talks a lot about um like being attracted to Rogue or thing. You know, calls yeah. the other aliens his darlings, and things got a very kind of camp feel to him, I guess. Again, which was that part of that shock value for the nineties, because mm -hmm. you know we were in a in a time when people were being more kind of accepting of different sexualities and stuff. So it was still very shocking for people to rail against that and be homophobic mm -hmm. and and you know that's that's what we previously talked about chubby brown i mean that's that's mm -hmm. basically that racism is what he based his entire act on um, yeah, i so think, it, yeah that's very good it is interesting this that they throw that in there i do think it is just to needle people a little bit you know there's a little bit mm -hmm. of um just to make people feel a bit uncomfortable you know again at something else in there I think it's just all adds to this. Yeah, you're not really comfortable reading the story, you know. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I definitely feel like we're entering this era where having characters that are do like that 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 have them be more gay coded and things is something that does like it. It, it either is funny or like, like you're either doing it for humor or you're doing it for like gay panic, basically. But one way or another, yeah. it's to sort of do something to throw the audience off a little bit. I'm thinking of like um, we um, we're about to do. This series of ABC Warriors, which is where um, Joe Pineapple starts wearing, like, you know, changes his outfit oh, yeah. and stuff like that, yeah. which is also yeah. very much there for shock value and something that mm. I think 
marks it as being in like 1992 almost or something like something where in previous years you wouldn't really be able to do this or something and after that it would sort of be like oh that's a little like i don't know on the nose or like not cool Mm. or something (laughs) it's sort of i don't know just from my own memory i i i remember this stuff happening more in like popular culture i guess where yeah you know you you could have a like sinister gay dude or something in yeah like a piece of entertainment i guess but so we learn about this guy agent mercy um, interested in Rogue beyond Intel. We've catch my meaning, of course, and Rogue spits in his face. And then we get Mercy's backstory, the last of an alien race that wiped itself out from aggressive, like, sadism and, mac- and masochism. We see him being recruited by the Norts and then sort of turned into an expert um, interrogator. And this part gets a little confusing to me, at least, because he's cle- he's like practicing or doing interrogation work, including cutting off the top of someone's head and putting like pens in there with someone yeah. with blue skin. So if you're yeah. flipping, if you're flipping through, it's very, you could think like, whoa, rogues in a big, in a big mess this time. But yeah. <laughs> I think it's just someone else unrelated. Yeah. Yeah. The Mohican's definitely gone here on it. It's like, um, yeah, I, I thought that when I was first, learning, I was thinking, hang on a minute. Yeah. And there's no real explanation for it. And it's so weird because if it had been any other color, you'd think it would be a dummy or something like that. But because the this guy's skin is specifically blue in Rogue Trooper, it sort of makes you wonder what's going on, basically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, soon Mercy started to grow weird blisters on his back, and it seems his people reproduce asexually because soon just a small army of sadistic bald dudes came popping out of those lumps. Yeah, it's gross. It's like a MAGA rally, isn't it? Oh man! All right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get too political here. We're already very, very deep in the in in the charts. You know, whatever. It's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, so there, so basically, though, this army of small dudes uh, attacked the facility and Mercy took it over, and the rest is history. Now he's gone rogue and is just sort of capturing and torturing people for fun, you know, as you do good times, I guess. Well, you gotta have a hobby, yeah, that's one thing, (laughs) absolutely. Reading what torturer magazine and so forth. (laughs) It's a joke I only know from Red Dwarf. Oh man, um, but so. They're still basically sweating Rogue out after 40 days and 40 nights. He's like chained up. He's chained to a wall in a cell eventually. Um, And it becomes clear, though, that after those 40 days and 40 nights, he was just waiting for his broken arms to heal. Because once Uh. they're good, he bites off the lip of one of these aliens and then like rips free of the chains that are holding him and just starts fighting his way out. He takes out another dude by throwing his dinner plate right at his nose and does that thing where you drive the nose up into the brain (laughs) and then grabs gutter and just starts blasting fools. It's a good time. It's tremendous. (laughs) It's Um, a tremendous breakout in it. Now, luckily, everybody was uh, like they were taunting him by having everyone like carry his war gear around. So it was real easy to get reequipped, which is which is which is always fun. Um, but yeah, he eventually makes his way through. 
Agent Mercy tries to like have like a put up your dukes and settle this like man rogue just shoots him in the face Raiders of the Lost Ark style. Yeah. <laughs> and then they keeps, light yeah, you know, fun stuff. But then like you're talking about with the darkness here, he just sort of escapes and heads off into New Earth and doesn't do the standard thing of like also freeing all the prisoners or something. And indeed, we realize that the narrator who's been telling us this story is there after Rogue left. And he sort of wonders if one day Rogue will come back and save them. But, he, you know, he knows that he, he knows he won't. As you yeah. sort of see it being cut to pieces by these aliens that are still there and still, you know, hurting people. It, it's a bizarre story. It, it really is a, an incredibly trippy story. And my theory on it. And the, this is where I could be completely wrong, is that Rogue, Rogue was never there. I mm. think this is all just in the mind of the guy. Because when he when he um, has his arms broken and then he breaks free and he, he bites the guy, if you, if you actually look at the silhouette of the guy on the first page, mm-hmm. it matches the silhouette of the guy that's on the, um, the operating table. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. And I think that the, the narrator is actually, um, what, what's he calling? Um, Mao Ling Wong. I think that's that's possibly um, who he is, and and all of this is just him playing out in his mind about you know if Rogue Trooper can can do these things, maybe he will come and save them. Maybe and and I don't know. Hmm. I I just I don't I don't think this is a story about Rogue Trooper. I think it's more of a story about um, this guy just being tortured to shit mm-hmm. by this like bald weird yeah. geezer i mean um, but yeah it's just my yeah. thing because rogue would rogue just leave them all and i don't mm-hmm. know maybe and like i mean i i i see where you're coming from for sure i mean i think the credence definitely is just how when he when it's time to escape how easily he do, how easily he does it of just snapping the chains and stuff that's yeah. a very kind of dream sequence way of escaping from things i think yeah of it, it's just so, time to go and so that, that that's really interesting and i feel like it's something that would happen in new earth just where there's this where it's this planet of war and destruction but yeah. there's this one hero that like you know avenges yeah. people and maybe that's the only thing keeping him going is that he's you know this they say this legend of the rogue trooper that may come and save them mm-hmm. um but he knows he won't because he knows he's never been there in the first place that's, that's just my my take on it. Could be wrong. Interesting. Yeah, sure I'm, I'm with it. I'm. I'll, I'll. I'll salute that. That's fine. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going with Thrill Six Future Shock Index update. Real quick here, just a page adding another um, adding on to these indexes that we've gotten recently. This one's just given the script and art cre- the script art publication credits for. Mm-hmm. The future shocks from Prague 705 to 786, basically. And there's some talent in there as well, isn't there? When you look at it. <laughs> some, oh, absolutely. There's some names in there. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's you know, there's a lot of Ron Smith stuff in here. Um mm. one of the stories we talked about on the show is uh Bellardinelli's last work in two thousand AD. Um yeah. Eric Bradbury came back in here and did a couple stuff, which I I, I I always love his work, um, as well as Arthur Ranson doing a little bit of stuff, among others, a lot of stuff. Cool. But yeah, very quick, you know, again, just sort of this pre-Barney Barney stuff. Important if you were a nerd in the era, certainly. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and although no letterers credits, I shake my fist. Like you could have. Yes. 
You could have put letterer's credits in there and taken out the thing that says reprinted because none of them have been reprinted. So that seems like a useless um, stat to have in in here. (laughs) And hey, speaking of being reprinted, oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about Thrill 7, Judge Dredd. Magnificent. Absolutely. Script robot John Wagner and Alan Grant as T.B. Grover. Art robot Cliff Robinson. Lettering robot Tom Frame. This story first appeared in the 1984 sci-fi special. The specials are eating their own. (laughs) We talked about it on episode 112 with Stephen Reed of Everything Comes Back to 2080. I imagine, again, head of the game, this is recycling at its best, isn't it? You know, this is showing people that, you know, like, like Wagner invented vaping and stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> they were they were in the future already. They were re, they were upcycling Absolutely. stuff and repurposing it. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It, it also inventing a reality shows, I guess. Um, <laughs> True. But this was also the first time we saw Cliff Robinson in, on, on, on the podcast, actually. So this sort of a you know, it's it's a milestone comic. I, I um at least for our show. I I don't know when they hired him personally but anyway um this time cliff's drawing a story about the called the booby prize about an illegal game show operation in mega city one it's marvin slurry of the ray crock block who was the guy who uh, bought who brought mcdonald's to the masses versus unctuous wilson of the bob calvi block who was the head of the vatican bank and possible mob uh, money launderer <laughs> a lot of a lot of financial things going on here um, and they've got to yeah. answer trivia questions, and if they get them right, then they'll be able to open booby traps scattered around their opponent's block. But you got to be careful because one of the choices you can make uh, triggers a flesh disintegrator in their chair, as we're trying to get up out of the chair. That'll disintegrate you as well. Got to be yeah. careful. <laughs> well, that's it, it. You know, these modern chairs, its uh, they're a death trap. You ever been to Ikea? You know oh, I mean? Listen, I'm sitting on a death trap Ikea chair now. If you hear, if you've ever heard that squeaking and creaking while we're doing the show. Be careful, here, man. That's what you got. Be careful. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I'm more, I'm more worried. Warm, move. <laughs> I'm more worried about these uh, crazily colored uh, 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 gamer chairs they take out of like jet fighters and stuff. You know, I got, <laughs> well, I have a lot of friends that have fallen prey to those. You know, 600 bucks. You got to be careful. Uh, <laughs> So the game starts with Martin getting the author of Moby Dick mostly right and thus unleashing a stink bob at Bob Calvi with a massive blart. <laughs> and this is all being broadcast on illegal television. So the Justice Department see the show and send judges to check it out as itching powder uh, fills the walls of uh, Ray Kroc. The source of the broadcast has been tracked to the Orwell loop and dreads on the case. Of course, George Orwell, you know, makes sense with this panopticon built around um, trapping everybody in their houses and stuff. Very good. Um, We also learned that the current – someone gets that up. Dave the Orangutan is the current mayor of Mega City One, which I think at the time in the special – when we covered that special was before that it actually happened in our progs. It's sort of a fun thing. Remembering good old Dave, the last bear yeah. of Mega City One. Oh, oh, Dave. And, oh man, you know the the good ones never. You know, gold can never stay. That's what I always say. No, about no, orangutan bears. <laughs> <laughs> and this unleashes a massive flash flood in the upper floors of Bob of uh, Bob Calvi as smoke fills the halls of uh, Ray Kroc. It's bad times. 
it's quite it, you've got to admire the creativity of the booby traps here you know they are pretty it's not just like explosions and usual stuff is it it's, it's, yeah it's pretty they're, good stuff they're mostly non-deadly it seems like they're more just sort of really really annoying and kind of taking yeah. um, advantage of like what must be the huge hvac systems like the air conditioners or whatever in these city blocks <laughs> and it gives a uh, you know young cliff robinson plenty of opportunity to do some good work as well you know yeah him just drawing these like townsfolk getting hit by these big waves or like smelling smelly things or being itchy and stuff is very fun yeah yeah no there's some lovely stuff in here definitely (laughs) eventually though uh dread tracks the signal to a transport van on autopilot he jumps aboard as Calvi blocks filled with foam. And so it just looks like um, there's a pretty funny thing of just all this water and soap coming out of the windows of the block. And someone just say, oh, it must be bath night over there. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah. Dread enters the van as as uh, Marvin chooses the wrong number, the booby prize that makes oh, him disintegrate wow. into just instantly a skeleton. And a wonderful panel as well, isn't it? You know, it's like, it's just brilliantly done. I mean, as, yeah. as we were saying before, this isn't the finished um, Cliff Robinson that, that we now know and love, but it's not far off it, is it? You know, it's it's It's, no, it's, it's amazing, work. yeah, how, the, how, how, how good this is knowing that this is basically his, or one of his first things. Like, this is probably like a, yeah. like, a, like a tryout strip, basically. Those often end up in these um, in these specials. Yeah, I, I, I like these two, like this panel, it's like split in half and one is yeah. like the fizz of this guy being like electrocuted or something and then the other half is like the other side of his body and it's just like a slumped brilliant. over smoking skeleton. <laughs> you know, it's pretty Absolutely awesome. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I like this part too, though, where Dread enters the van and the uh, the booby prize game show host is like, "You can't catch me! I'm going to escape!" And he hits the ejector seat on <laughs> his chair, but they're under an overpass, so he just goes flying headfirst right into it, get knocked and gets knocked out. That's that's so like Wagner Grant. That just like ridiculous, yeah. like slapstick humor in here, especially just this image of him sproying out with this huge like spring in the bottom <laughs> of the van. And stuff like that it is great it's great and it's like this the, the sprawling sound effects isn't it it's just brilliant mm-hmm. absolutely superb stuff it's just <laughs> it's just classic comic stuff here you know um and then with seemingly all done unctuous goes to stand up and triggers what i've i've called a Chekhov's or sorry Chekhov's disintegrator built into the scene here that he skeletonizes <laughs> as well and <laughs> Like, this one is, despite the fact that it's so silly and uh, slapstick, is actually a pretty downer ending, right? Because it's one of these ones where, like, both of the contestants are dead and, like, the blocks are heavily damaged and stuff like that. And all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Like, the, the crook has survived and they can arrest him, but it is still very, like, <laughs> dredged. Like, every... Like, they're... they're Literally, another judge show up on the scene and just says, "What a mess!" You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's like it's a rough, it it's a rough case, you know. And again, it fits with that kind of dark overall theme, doesn't it? Even though it's a bit more lighthearted and and you know, fun, yeah, it's still got that. Like you say, it's got that dark element to it. That you know, yeah. people are people are dying here. 
Yeah. Um, no, it's yeah, just it's, for entertainment. It's <laughs> as dark as one of these like mid eighties like one off slapstick dreads can be, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing to say, but is I, I think it's still really interesting. Like I don't know. I hadn't really picked up on this theme before we started talking about it, but now that I'm looking for it, I'm seeing it everywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm probably wrong, so, so I'm sure somebody will write in and tell you that I'm, you know. <laughs> Listen, I, 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 I can't get pulled down by that. You know, I got too many weird theories of my own to worry too much, <laughs> too much about what everybody thinks. I don't know. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of uh, documenting strange instances, we should move on to Thrill 8 Armored Gideon. Script yeah. robot. Alan McKenzie, art robot, Sean Phillips, lettering robot, Annie Parkhouse. Like I said, Alan McKenzie and, and John Tomlinson have swapped here. Tomlinson usually does, you know, created Armored Gideon and stuff. Um, interesting to see Sean Phillips here doing doing Gideon. Yeah. Um, I think he he is capable of, do, you know, be, with like his um, Armitage and Devlin Waugh stuff that, that we'll see soon. I think he is pretty good at blending sort of some like like action, terror and some humor, which I think is what you kind of want with, with Armored Gideon specifically. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, again, the art style is, I mean, as we know, Sean, um, you know, Sean's another one of those artists, isn't he? That's mm-hmm. just absolutely tremendous, you know. And he's grown as well. I mean, this is kind of like not the Sean Phillips you get today, but obviously quite, um, you know, it, this style was very much of of the ilk at the time. You know, mm-hmm. people, this is what people want. You know, you had things like New Statesman and stuff like that. And there was a lot of this kind of, you know, painted, um, splattery kind of textured style to a lot of the work. And it's, Absolutely. it's brilliant. It's brilliant work. I mean, it is lovely. Um I have to confess, I'm not quite sure what this is actually um, poking fun at because there's, there's several mm-hmm. theories about it. But you know, it's it's an interesting story, if a little, um, you know, simply so, wrapped up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would say this one is 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 the simplest of the ones we're we're talking <laughs> about for sure. Um, we're at the outdoor film set for the movie Mecha Rodzilla vs. the Space Monster, the musical. And it seems they've got a big practical dinosaur monster uh, that's being rolled out as um, director S. McMills laments the troubled production they've had. <laughs> Apparently, there's already been some big debacle at a uh, shopping mall already, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Shopping mall, M-A-U-L. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We meet the actors and there's like a, a super buff dude and a very sexy lady scientist kind of character. You know, everybody's posing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they prepare to do some acting as the giant lizard stomps around. There is some kind of funny like filmmaking things. They're like, all right, listen, we've got the, the Rodzilla. You can see that. There's also going to be the space monster. That's we're, we're going to get in CGI. So just sort of pretend something's going on over there. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna, we'll remat it on. <laughs> um, and so th- they start they start rolling. But suddenly there's a huge power surge. And this power surge is important because it travels down into the depths of Earth where it finds the six-sided star prison of the evil demon Magog, which is sort of a, a black cloud monster, I guess. And it comes alive and returns to Earth. 
It's always where, the way to win it, though. Listen, know. so many. That's why you film in studios. So you don't have to worry about this stuff. It's yeah. on location filming. You're just asking to accidentally wake up some demon. We saw with Wolfie Smith. We're seeing it here, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no, you, Wolfie I'm... Smith deep cut. Oh, my God. <laughs> no one remembers. <laughs> oh, dear. No, nobody wants to remember. Oh, man. Yeah, there were druids, as I recall. It was quite a thing. <laughs> Like hang gliding? I don't know. Um, <laughs> or, uh, oh, sorry, or just to go back to the action days where the running man had amnesia and ended up being part of a, of a film set or of a film crew that just made him, made him do dangerous stunts and everybody got killed by gangsters, as I recall. I don't know. It all blends <laughs> together. But so <laughs> what's important is that this dino- robot dinosaur gets um, and possessed by Magog and there's a pretty funny part where the actors are sort of continuing to do their lines as this demon-possessed dinosaur is clearly about to, like, eat them alive, basically. <laughs> really, I really like this, how it goes, how suddenly when it's possessed, or wait, wait, no, sorry, when in the film, the lady scientist presses a button to activate the dinosaur, it goes from frowning to this huge, like, Joker smile or something. <laughs> Mind you, if you look at the panel on the left, that's probably what he's smiling at. Yeah, hey, good times, you know. <laughs> that, that typical 90s, should we say, buxom leading lady. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but H doesn't use the remote control like that. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you got to show off the huge tracks of land. That's how it goes, you know. And so, so and then they're like, they're like, so get him, get him, Mecha Rodzilla. Oh, wait a minute. I think that thing's out of control. Let's run. And then Rodzilla is just squashing cars and eating people and stuff like that. It's good times and times get better when deep in the edge, the arrival of Magog activates that Gal Dern armored Gideon who warps onto the scene annihilates Magog with a single punch and then with a quieter contemplative annihilate in lowercase and everything he just goes back through his gateway and returns to the edge good times that was it it was like a Mike Tyson fight wasn't it yeah just that that one punch and I'm out of here you know that's what you gotta put at the end end of the card you know It's all good except for director McMills, who finds out afterwards that none of his cameras were rolling at all during all that. So not only did they lose the regular shot, they lost all the demon stuff as well. Dang. Unbelievable. Wouldn't happen now with digital, would it? I I hope not, but I guess you still got to press the button no matter what's going on. That's true. I will say from certain angles, especially like with his baseball cap, as he yells into his cell phone really reminds me of uh, Paul Heyman from uh, yes. ECW and other wrestling things. <laughs> well, this whole thing reminded me of, um, and here's a wrestling deep cut for you, which was when um, the Ultimate Warrior faced the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental title. And I think that was about 80, was it about 89 or 90? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the guy had held this belt for, I think it was like about 14 months or something ridiculous. And it was all yeah. over in about 40 seconds. It was yeah. like the most disappointing fight you'd ever seen. It was like, you really wanted him to like 
So because everybody hates it. Well, yeah, because because the honky tonk man, oh, his his God. reign was so long, but it was the most like corrupt, yeah. like BS title reign ever. And he he was so like like you know he won he'd win by disqualification or by hitting guys over the head with his guitar and all yeah, that stuff every time. And you just thought he's gonna get a beating. He's gonna get a yeah. beating. And, and so you just you just... want to you want to see him get beat up so much, and yeah. then it's just forty seconds, and suddenly like oh come on. <laughs> And he reminded me of that. I remember because I remember watching it thinking, no, that was a bit of a downer, wasn't it? <laughs> right. And there's just all this build up to this big armored Gideon versus T Rex fight, which I would like to see. Like, listen, I'm yeah. happy to I'm happy to see almost anything in the pages of 2018 fight a T Rex. Even the T Rexes <laughs> I want to see fight T Rexes, you know? <laughs> and so that it's just in a fight is is a downer for sure. It is. It was. It was a one punch special, and it was very disappointing. Mm-hmm. I must say. Ah, these guys. That's how they do it. You know, whatever. <laughs> Keep you on the hook, I guess. So I was trying to work out what this was poking fun at because it was quite obviously, you know, um, taking the piss out of something. And I was trying mm-hmm. to work out was it the kind of the media world at the time where you know everybody started getting on TV on reality stuff and stuff like that and it was about you know mm-hmm. there's, there's a great line at the end isn't it, about you know the four stages was it about the the comics world itself where hmm. again you know it seemed to there was a lot of hype for things and then very little materialized I couldn't quite work out what it was really poking fun at it was enjoyable it's, it's completely disposable but mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know. I don't know what your take was on that. Um, I don't know. But... I guess, like, whenever I see these things, just because I feel like I've seen references to, like, it ends up being, like, almost about specific movies sometimes or something, or, mm. or directors or something like that, too, I guess. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I was just wondering if, like, I in my mind, I, I wonder if I, if I could recall any, like, big film debacles from 91 or something like that, but I couldn't really think of anything. And then, no. like, and... The other one I sort of thought vaguely about was the du- the director being named like McMills makes me like always makes me like raises my radar for like are they making fun of like Pat Mills in the course of yeah, this or something that. like that yeah yeah I, I, I thought I don't know that, if he's doing quite... any movie things as well and it didn't didn't seem a ton like what I've come to understand the jokes you would make about Pat Mills in this era would be about I guess no no. Because no, he seems much more sure. like a put-upon director who's having people be idiots around him or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It yeah. just kind of felt like a classic Hollywood kind of thing, I guess. Like like sort of, I don't know, film set stuff in general, I suppose. And then making fun of actors for being so actorly and things like that as well. I don't know. Yeah. True. And they, they obviously the stereotypical you know, buff leading male and, you know, um, ultra curvy, like uh, voluptuous, uh, 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 supporting actress who is also a scientist or whatever, like a scientist with massive cleavage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, you've you've got to have somewhere to put your pencils, haven't you? So, um, that's a fair point, you know, (laughs) it's a fair point. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh man. All right. We're in our, our final thrill, and then oh. we can relax. And speaking of relaxation, yeah, get some nice haircuts with Thrill Nine Robo Hunter. <laughs> Script robot John Smith, art robot Chris Weston, learning robot Annie Parkhouse. This killing time time team rides again. Oh my gosh! I mean, yeah, I guess they did it, in the tech story as well. But you know, this is uh, 
this is something else, this, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. this I actually um, for all I, I didn't I didn't like the portrayal of Sam Slade in it. I, I didn't I didn't get really kind of felt like Sam Slade. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, did, it didn't have that kind of uh, humorous edge that that obviously um, you know Wagner and Grant would have, but that's why you get different artists on. Yeah, but I, mean, but this... I did love the references in it. You know the the Ruggiero Diodato reference and. You know, all that sort of stuff. I was I was quite digging that, I must admit. Yeah, like um we sort of start it's it's set in a new Dallas, I guess. And this I, I, I should say this is of course um new rogue troop or a new Robo Hunter, the the Mark Miller one as opposed to the yeah. more classic one. Um, so this is sort of the swap with uh, Rogue Trooper, I guess. Because I guess, you know, John Smith did write Cinnabar, so there's sort of some if you're swapping yeah. guys around, you can sort of see that. Um yeah, I really um you know, I think it's an interesting one from John Smith just because I, I he you you do manage to get some Smithisms in here, which I appreciate yeah. just when you're looking for that kind of stuff. And I love Chris Weston's work here. His robot designs are really fun in the course of it. But I also agree that it Sam Sam like it doesn't seem like it's quite the same character drawn here. Even as like I don't know, in with the new Sam Slade, we've seen a couple different artists like uh, Jose Casanovas and uh, Simon Colby, mm. and I think th- those two artists who have very different styles, but their Sam Slade has some similar notes versus um, Weston's version here, which seems less connected to those ones, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um. But yeah, listen, Sam, he's in New Dallas. He's working on a case, taking the night off. It appears his escorts have canceled, so he's getting a haircut instead. Uh, like you said, Deodato is cutting below. <laughs> and I really like a lot. Like there's just – there's like there's like one page that's just um, New Dallas, like storefronts and stuff. And there, there's yeah. a lot of it's, – it's one of these like it's, – it's almost like a Simpsons scene or something where there's just all these jokes in one section, you know. There's like a yeah. statue and a sign for nurse wounds, small arms, Mengele Co. Cosmetics, Lungs R Us, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um. But so Sam goes to get a, a haircut, but as the barber discusses um, like hairstyles and things like that, and again, love this design, the robot um, barber's got a, a third arm with a blow – that's just a blow dryer arm and stuff like that. It's pretty <laughs> fun. So we've got, got a magnificent quaff on the top of its head. Um, but suddenly it tries to kill him. Oh, it pulls scissors and goes after him. But Sam, of course, never disarmed, uh, comes up with his pistol and blasts the robot away. But when it does, its head falls onto the switch of the barber chair and sends him falling down a chute to a bunch of other bodies. He's been Sweeney totted. Oh, no. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I will say John Smith does call out that this is a Sweeney totting, so I got to give him points for professionalism <laughs> yeah. there. He's not just going – not just doing it incidentally, you know. <laughs> um, Sam doesn't have time to investigate too much though as he hears a bunch of butcher colon droids coming and along with them a multi-phase mutilator bot which is this big like w- uh, military murder bot with a thousand teeth and a necklace of ears and fingers because he's super evil <laughs> outlawed 20 years ago 
It's fantastic. I, I, I must admit, you know, these robot designs you were talking about, they're, they're brilliant, mm-hmm. aren't they? I mean, you know, I love the judges' shoulder pads on, on the yeah, yeah, yeah. Mutilator's well. got got, oh. got a pair of Judge Dredd shoulder, well, the uh, the the non-eagle shoulder pad. Yeah, there. I can't open and the old Sam Slade hat as well that they That's wear. Right. You look at it; it's, <laughs> it's nice stuff. Nice and I like stuff. these mutilators too. They're like these robots covered in like leather aprons and stuff with like cleavers built into their hands. They're like these cool, like like uh, yeah, they're just built for butchery or whatever. Sam <laughs> giving us the John Smith moment, of course, is forced to hide in a big uh, f- uh, mobile freezer full of human corpses. <laughs> of course, <laughs> as we see the bots uh, butchering. These humans, we learn that, um, like, one of them, like, pulls a pacemaker out and apparently selling those on the secondary market is part of how they make their money. The real money <laughs> is in pulling out uh, glands from people's uh, uh, heads. And here's where on Twitter I said, like, look, if you want to make me stop – if you if you want me to stop making these adrenochrome jokes, you got to stop doing stuff like this because this, <laughs> this is that, that adrenochrome kind of stuff. Um, the meat's just a sideline, you know. Um, so the robots head out with the – turning on the freezer that Sam's hiding in, which means that soon he becomes visible on the robot's infrared vision. Yeah. That's a great panel. <laughs> it's really good. I love this um, butcher butcher colon droid yeah. that just has a a full on like a uh, me- Metal Gear uh, question mark appear over his head for what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, once he gives away, Sam comes up shooting as you do. I like the fighting here of Sam just running around and these crazy butcher droids are coming after him with cleavers and stuff like that. A stray shot hits a gas main that causes a massive explosion, which is also yeah. pretty cool. Um, but in the end, um, the mutilator has survived. Oh, no. And so Sam's got to run because, listen, this thing, it's pretty tough. It's lost a quarter of its head. Ooh, that's no good. <laughs> uh, I'm a slow worker, but I'm a professional. <laughs> We got to say it. Give me the tools and I'll finish the job. <laughs> You've been practicing, haven't you? I Listen. Yeah, it's come on. Good, I'm trying to very pull good. off pull off these uh these uh, angry British guy jokes, you know. You do a better you do a better angry cockney than me. <laughs> you know, I got I I'm coming from the outside, you know. It's like how uh, so many people who play southern people on American television are from uh, the UK or Australia or something. <laughs> Anyway, Sam starts running and eventually makes his way to the kitchen of Dead President Restaurant, which is where they're going to sell that human meat for the record. The robots talked about it. He grabs another one of these freezer trolleys and sends it slamming straight into the mutilator. And then all and then the three of them, Sam, the mutilator and the trolley go flying through the wall of that fine dining establishment. It does look like one of those um theme restaurants from your nightmares doesn't it mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah 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 the wall it, the walls are covered in uh, american flags and like portraits of uh presidents and like every like the waiters are all wearing these like uh, abe lincoln suits with like top hats and stuff like that <laughs> it's got a very got a very like a like this is the restaurant that's next door to the hall of presidents in disneyland or something like that kind of yeah. feel <laughs> Oh, and just all these all these upper crust new dallas types eating at their table with their tablecloth dinners and stuff um 
Sam comes smashing through. The day is saved. He asks a lady what she's eaten. She says it's the JFK special, which is not – don't eat – don't make a meal that's named after a murdered president. That's ridiculous. But anyway. No, when you got a picture of Nixon in the background. As oh, well. yeah. Come on. <laughs> The, the space God, yeah. but anyway sam's like oh dish of the day eh? well here's seconds and just tosses a severed human leg on the table <laughs> help yourself to seconds it's all the house what a jerk i love it <laughs> and that's the end brilliant brilliant i mean i really enjoyed this i, I, I must have been i really as much as there's bits about it that you kind of like Ooh, you know the overly effeminate barber again, mm-hmm. paid for laughs and stuff. But again, the context of it all being there to sort of make you feel uncomfortable and stuff. And and it, the action scenes are brilliant, aren't they? I mean, you know, I think the only the only thing I say is slightly that I find Sam a little bit more aggressive than mm-hmm. you know. I always had the, my love of Sam Slade was he was always a bit of a bumbling hero, wasn't he? And he survived more by look than skill a lot of the time. And Absolutely. with this one, he just he just seems a bit harder on the edges. But, you know, Chris Weston's art, again, not the um, not the, the work you'd see today, you know, again, mm-hmm. but, but certainly like, you know, the, the sort of beginnings of it um, and still beautifully done. There's still some beautiful panels in here. But yeah, I thought it was a good fun, you know, it was a good fun story. And I always enjoy things that I've got things like cannibals in anyway. Yeah. <laughs> what can a, I yeah. say? <laughs> no, I think this one was a lot of fun of just sort of like just a random adventure of, of Sam Slade. And I will say that um, I think these, uh, the, the version of Sam that's more like quick to violence and not so much relying on his wits, that's also very much the, the Mark Miller version, like this version of Sam Slade that we're seeing here and we're seeing in the yeah, progs yeah. these days. You know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a very, you know, I'd say it's very much the, just the difference in writers between Miller and, and, and Grant Wagner, for instance, in terms of just yeah. a, a focus on humor and other things in these, within these stories. Good oh stuff. man yeah but with that david edwardson we've finished up the Woof. 1992 sci-fi special a trip down memory pain Woof, what a life you know what a comic <laughs> but that means i have one question for you it's in two parts and it's what are your top and bottom thrills for this special oh this is a tough one i think i've, I've got to be honest and say um the top thrill for me and it's a tough one because it is between Rogue Trooper and Robo Hunter, and that's only I'm only dismissing Dread because it was a reprint, and I think that's only fair. That's fair, yeah. But I think I'd go with Rogue Trooper um, just because it's it's Ewins and it, it's a real, as we said earlier, it's a real fever dream of a story that I think is left open to interpretation quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but Robo Hunter was very close behind, you know. You, you, if you're going to be referencing uh, Dear Data and stuff on the first page, then you're always going to be in with a fighting chance of being the top thrill. But yeah, I'm going to stick to uh, Rogue Trooper, I think, on that one. Bottom thrill? Ooh. I mean, I suppose I'd have to say the uh, <laughs> cheating a bit, but it would be obviously the interview <laughs> for, with Johnny Lydon. <laughs> but if, if we're looking at strips, then I'm probably going to have to say that, um, yeah, I think... Mm, Armored Gideon, and mm. as much as it was fun, I just kind of think it was a bit. I'm still not quite sure what the point of it was. You sure. know, I'm not quite sure what what we were laughing at. We were obviously laughing at something, but 
I'm not entirely clear what it was. And that's not taken away from the art, which was which was great. It was just that I'm still confused a little bit about about the story. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. my my bottom thrill. What about yourself, Conrad? What's uh, what floats your boat and oh, sinks man. your sub? Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> hmm, that's tough. There were a lot of interesting stories in here. Um, like you said, I think it's really interesting this sort of, like, while they say the theme is swapping things around I think this is a really interesting like downer special, I guess, like not mm-hmm. a lot of super happy endings I guess No. Um, I think ah, I might have Armored Gideon for my bottom as well, I guess um, you know, I think Gideon's fine, but this sort of this really felt like a special edi- special version of Gideon where it's just sort of like, ah, we don't really have a plot or a concept. So he's just one time Gideon shows up and it spends, like like you said, it spends so much time on setup for yeah. so little reward um, in terms of just the fighting and stuff like that. And while I like just, you know, I think some of the, the, the movie stuff is fun. In the end, it's just not enough to sort of justify the work we have to get to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, I think for my top, I liked the um, Robo Hunter story. I liked Rogue Trooper just because Rogue Trooper feels like such a fever dream in general. I think I, I definitely mm. agree with you there that there is other stuff going on than just the plot, whether it, you know, the full unreliable narrator or not. Um, but I think I'm actually tipping towards uh, Strontium Dog this time. I, li- ah, I like that story. Um Yeah. I like the old West. Like it really felt like Hogan, despite the lack of characterization for Wolf, was otherwise really trying for this kind of classic Strontium Dog of space western and yeah. Johnny pursuing, you know, Johnny Wolf pursuing kind of a weird bounty. I really like that he used a ton of the time stuff. That's yeah. always nice yeah. in Strontium Dog when they when, when they pull on that inventory of, of weird things they can do, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Well that's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. I thought that was I thought that was just kind of a fun light story, I guess. And so I don't know. It, it felt like a like a nice um special story. Like I'm very happy for uh hey, let's go back to when Johnny was around sort of special stories in, in, in these to sort of remember some some bounty hunting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only thing that um stopped it being a top thrill for me was I still can't get past that wicky wacky mm-hmm. character. There's still... definitely d- yes, definitely right some parts that haven't aged well for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but other than that, no, it was fun. It was was that classic Western kind of setup as well. So now it's a good call. Good call, man. You know, I mean, yeah. Listen, it's it's all fine. I guess this is sort of this is a decent special. I think I've I've definitely come out of these feeling a lot worse than <laughs> I do coming out of this one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think you've probably got worse to come yet. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, we, I mean, we only have about four more years of these specials by my count. Like around ninety six, I think of is course, the last yeah. we'll is the last one. So we're very much you know I'm I'm saving them while I can. I guess. Good stuff. Good stuff. Exciting time. All right. Excellent. And I hope everybody had an exciting time on the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. The 2080 forums are on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter. We're at Space Spinner 2K. For everything else, Space Spinner 2000, you'll find us there. And why not drop us 
a rate and a review wherever you're listening. Or if someone's looking for a podcast, give a suggestion. Anyway, this show's brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardinghan, Zane, Zane Kipmiller, and your friends at the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support this show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Cradleline. That's our podcast network. There you can support the show. Get a bunch of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2080 in the magazine, and even monthly Q&As with Fox and myself. But enough of my plug. And David, where can we find your work online? Where I, you know, I, I have a lot of irons in the fire, and I want to know where we can all find them. It's all at Art92. It's that simple. So um, Art92.com is the website, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We keep it all Art92. We do have personal accounts that, that branch off that, but that's where you can find us. Um, omen to that, the, the chip-free sporadic podcast, which <laughs> isn't as professionally produced as this one, I might add. Um, that's available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and I keep getting notified it's on, like... Oh, different sure. things I've never heard yeah. of. You they know. All, it it, um, it so all you spreads around once you get on there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Where you, wherever you get your audio wonderment from will probably be nestled away there somewhere. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Or you can find us again by going to the Art92 webpage and there's a link on the bottom of, of the site. All right. Fantastic. Thanks so much for coming out the show. And No, everyone... thanks for having me. It's been an oh. honor. Absolute honor, mate. My pleasure, for sure. And come back next time as... Here on Space Spitter, we arrive at the Prague 780 Mega Blast. All new thrills, including new stories for ABC Warriors. We got Button Man, and it's going to be a new listener episode. So if you know somebody who's been thinking about getting into our show or classic 2000 AD, tell them to listen to this one because it's going to be a great place to start. And until then, I'm Conrad, he's David, and we are Space Spitter 2000. Splendid for three!